Hey there, Jack Reacher. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Steven, who is Jack Reacher and why are you him? Jack Reacher is the protagonist of apparently 24 books. Um, There was a movie called Jack Reacher in 2012 starring Tom Cruise, who... I saw this this movie like a year or two ago, I think, because I heard they're making a TV series. And he's a really good actor, but... The Tom reason Cruise. they wanted to remake, yeah, Tom Cruise. I, so I get why people put up with the yeah. crazy because he's actually really, really talented. He, he brought all the big dick energy that was needed for the role, but at his you know five foot six stature, and right. the, the guy is constantly described as like a giant and a gorilla, and I think the character is like six five in the book. So they got a guy Jesus. who's six two to play him in the TV show. It's the guy who played Hot Young Scully. Do you remember that episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine? Oh, oh my God. Okay, yes. Yeah, so they put uh, 30... for a second. I was thinking, like, what the hell? <laughs> they put thirty more pounds of muscle on this guy and made him play Jack Reacher. Um, Holy shit! And so there's a line where one of the um, princes or whatever says, "Fuck, is he human? Tall for a human? What have you been feeding him?" And mm-hmm. I was like, "Perfect. That gets that lets me do the Jack Reacher thing." And okay. I think I'll save all my my rage for it. I think it'll build back up over the episode. But I I wanted to start the episode complaining about June and slap him in the face. But it's for, at the end of the reading, so um, gonna, gonna I think, have to hold on to that anger the whole time. I think I'll be able to put it in my back pocket. But I texted you after midnight on Saturday, and I'm just like, yes. I can't believe this shit. I complained to my wife about it, and she, I, I had to give her some backstory, and I'm like, it's not even. That he fell into a trap. It's that he saw a trap coming, waved it over, and let it in. Like, <laughs> it's, so. Uh, anyway, that that that's where I'm at. And okay, excellent. That, that's uh, that's the beginning of how we're getting started here. Well done, Stephen. Nice organization. That not a bad organization at all. We do have a few things to take care of first. Like, what is it that we are talking about? Yeah, this is our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where we discuss Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle, recently available on uh, an, at an e-reader near you um, in the audiobook or the uh, e-book for chapters one through or books one through three and the audiobook of the same. So that just came yes. out today, actually, the day of recording, March 1st. It did. And if you are hearing this, you, well, first of all, you know, be great if you bought it no matter when you do it, but you still have somewhere in the order of 20 to 12 hours, depending on when you're listening to this, to get on Amazon and order one and get it within that first week window, which is the, you know, the, the sweet, awesome golden week for authors. So, uh, if you're going to buy it anyway, do it now if you haven't yet. Um, but otherwise, we'll just remind people every now and then that, hey, actually, we'll probably start reminding them at the top of the show that you can buy this book now uh, and also that you can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon uh, or us at our Patreon because we do all this talking and you, you, we've got to buy a lot of water and lip moisturizer <laughs> after all this talking, you know, uh, it's expensive stuff. Um, and we kick back 15% to Alexander Wales as well. And uh, I only had one p- person claim the... Um uh the offer i made last week for free books and somebody pinged me on discord saying that you can buy books once they're released and give them away so if anyone doesn't want me to bend them owe them money and then they go buy the book just ping me the next nine or ten people to hit me up i'll just send you a book excellent yeah go nuts all right well we got a couple things to hit before we get into this show itself 
we have a couple notes from the audience back over on our Discord, which is also linked in the show notes. Uh, GadBB on the Reddit, that's the full name, because he said this on the Discord, not on the Reddit, uh, says that the new magic, because uh, the dragon with the book fetish saying that these, these were her criteria for uh, a new Uther, the only one he hadn't met was new magic. GadBB said the new magic is obviously hot dog magic, which darn good point. I hadn't thought of that. Honestly, that uh, I but- think is a sufficient candidate. I, I just, I just put a heart emoji next to the note that you put here in the notes, but it's a new magic. There was a bit of scuttlebutt on the Discord as to whether or not this was a uh, a new magic or just an, an example of ex nilo magic being able to be done outside of the exclusion zone, but only in a very limited format of hot dogs. And so uh, Fred LF then later pointed out, as far as new magic goes, we have plastic and computer magic as candidates from the Cypress timeline, since those aren't currently in uh, Arab, but they could be there. So there could be new magic that shows up. And in fact, Juniper added plastic magic to his sheet, which I had forgotten about. I forgot about that, too. Um, yeah, I thought about the the ex nihilo thing because they mentioned that that's how he like, you know, that's how he flex in front of that council of assholes. Um yeah, but I still think that being able to do magic outside inclusion zone is new magic. So that that's a candidate. I think plastic magic is a thing. From what I re- vaguely recall, Raven told Amaryllis that that was already a thing. That's why Arab doesn't use plastic. Like that's why mm. they don't have plastic trash bags. But computer magic, uh, well, was that actually a thing, or was it just that ghost that haunted computers and gave people uh, mind smashing headaches or something? No, that's the couch potato. It does TVs, <laughs> not not computers. Couch potato. If the, if there was computer magic, which I kind of forgot about, then that might count too. So, I think the plastic magic isn't in Arab yet because uh, Raven says, you know, when they're in the infinite library and they see the world being destroyed by plastic magic, uh, they always exit the library and do something to fuck up the the introdu- introduction of plastics, and that's one of the reasons Arab doesn't have any plastics, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And that's a good point. I was, for some reason, excluding magics that the Infinite Library was aware of and saying, well, no, those okay. don't count. But why on the, why in the hell would I have to draw the line there? Like, no, just magic that Arab hasn't seen yet. And so, yeah, like, Couch Potato technically, technically, technically qualifies plastic magic. Um, okay, yeah, then super into it. Um, if that's the case, then we might have, you know, it's not like I have any doubt that we're going to hit all the whatever checklist of uther isms but i was wondering if we'd hit it yet so yeah hot dogs and plastic i think those are both good candidates excellent okay well let's get into the the actual show shall we yeah there's there's lots to scuttlebutt around here all right i think (laughs) it doesn't work that way it's a noun no it doesn't work so i had to hit i i asked that we hit this tried to hit this organically a couple of times because at some point one of the princes when they're talking to Amarillo says, no, give us the hot gossip, the scuttlebutt, the news. And I'm like, who calls gossip scuttlebutt? That's the funniest and cutest thing I've ever heard. So I needed to work have it you, in. Have you watched any of those old um, black and white movies, the high pants, fast talkies? Uh, I've seen family guy sketches of them. Oh, and he, they probably <laughs> definitely use the scuttlebutt word. Yeah. Yep. That's where I first heard it. It's, it's, quite charming i I agree with you that all those old movies were were great okay yeah and i I assume people actually talk or use that word in that time frame because otherwise how would they know to use it right no idea all we have is those records well what's the scuttlebutt on chapter 177 the erstwhile manor yeah the gang arrives at basically minas Tirith, where arthur lived for most of his life on Erb. well lived is a strong word because he probably spent 60 percent of his time out adventuring but 
That's where his family lived yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. where his official home was. Yeah. And it's apparently been changed very little over the last 500 years. And Amarillo said that's due to some of the laws that there's restrictions on buildings being a new height or like specific height. You know, they have to pass the cultural commission, strict guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, holy fuck. It's like a Supreme HOA. Fun fact. Yeah. I think um, San Francisco. Wait, no. San. Damn it. What's that? San something. Uh, I feel yeah. really dumb. San Dimas. No. No, that's, that's not it. That's where Bill and Ted were. Santa Fe. Fun fact. Santa Fe, New Mexico, I think, has similar rules about like building a new property on some of the main drags. My wife went there a few years ago to go to a museum and just take a road trip with her dad. And all the buildings had like a similar architecture. And apparently, yeah, you have to fit the vibe if you want to build there. Um, oh, well, I mean, that's pretty much every city in the world has laws like this. And some of them obviously much more strict than others, like the Santa Fe one. But I think when cities don't have laws restricting things, um, that is extremely notable. And and that's what gets them known. Like Tokyo has very few restrictions on building and people know that because that's so unusual. Like, having supreme HOAs is a very common thing. Oh, I, I guess I, I took this to, like, the one here in Collard Witch. What do you think? Is that, we want to take a vote. Is that Collard Witch or Collard Wick? Uh, Wick, I guess. It's probably more British. I thought it was more like Sandwich, but Collard Wick. Yeah, Collard Wick. Anyway, I didn't know if that was, like, over-the-top intense or if that was just, you know, regular city. I, I, anyway, I brought this up because... Raven points you know, out Boulder, that, you can't build anything over uh, two stories, right? With that special permission. God damn it. That's madness. And well, I know that's, that like, yeah. you know, I couldn't buy like an acre, you know, on the side of the highway and just, you know, build whatever insane shit I wanted there. Like I, I get that. Like there's, there's rules, but um, yeah, this isn't Nam. There are rules, but it's, <laughs> it seemed like uh Collinwick was above and beyond, but I brought that up because Raven replies that it's not just the, uh, you know, the strict guidelines that's part of Uther's design philosophy was that a city has wants and should be built so as to force those wants down constructive pathways. Quote, we shape our cities, therefore they shape us, or thereafter they shape us. And A, that sounds like an awesome Utherism. Mm -hmm. And I think you already explained, I I spent way too long on this. I thought it was going to take me five seconds. Um <laughs> I was going to ask you if that sounded like terrible or awesome, but I think you convinced me that it kind of, it works great for this place and it's kind of common everywhere. So it's, well, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like this is particularly strict because she says the cultural commission strict guidelines. So it's probably worse than average. Um, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it necessarily. Like on the one hand, it's really nice to have an area like Santa Fe or that one city in Greece where every building is made out of white stone and the, the, the domes are all this really bright, beautiful blue. I forget what the name of the city is. But, I mean, it's striking and it's cool. But on the other hand, it also makes living uh, or building there insanely expensive. Anywhere there's things like this, it stops new development. It uh, it entrenches old money. And, uh, oh, crap, I wish I could remember my source for this. But I believe I read a few months ago that um, the areas in Europe that were bombed to hell during World War II are now more economically productive than the ones that weren't because they, in the old ones, they want to keep the old buildings as like, you know, historic buildings and stuff. And they, that older historic buildings just aren't as good. They're less dense. They, they have um, less modern 
things making them run. And so it just stifles growth and GDP in those areas too, to have those. So I'm not saying, you know, we should bomb places regularly in order to clear out the, the old cruft and let people develop better, newer things again. But, um, you know, it's, it has its pluses and it has its minuses and you can't sacrifice everything on the altar of economic development. (laughs) But on the other hand, for every percentage of development we don't get, that's a little bit longer before we, uh, get to the cure for aging so eh. you make a compelling and interesting point i'm i now i don't regret bringing it up for so long um, okay all right i appreciate indulging me so sure they they land and there's a welcoming question mark party of some of amaryllis's cousins and whatnot um it's unclear what their actual affiliations are because they're slytherins uh <laughs> And I'm I'm hoping I don't have to remember a bunch of new names, but June has a good strategy for handling that that we'll get to in a second. Uh, I just had to pull out the quote about how he describes the tram that they take, like to the castle. Mm-hmm. June's trying to picture, like, because it's on like on autopilot, and he's trying to picture some way that it could work sensibly. And he says it was also entirely possible that the trams were some variety of magic, with all the obvious after five minutes logistical and engineering problems resolved by virtue of its magic. I don't have to explain shit, and <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, the, the druid brand explanation. Yes, I wonder if there are druids of like old timey cities that that run trams and stuff. Like, not all druids have to be nature druids. Anything that's far enough in the past that people start thinking about it in rosy tones could possibly be druidish right i think so i think currently solace is the last druid right or is, yeah. or is the locust just the last locust uh both yeah that's right anyway so he's got he's got uh monikers to remember remember people by yeah I, I was just thinking like i could think of the the druids of like fast talky high pants druids maybe trying to keep that aesthetic around like they don't all have to be nature right i think the sky's the limit <laughs> all right okay anyways moving on yeah so the three cousins he he says one of them he mentally tagged a shuriken bucket because he's got a fucking bucket full of shuriken on his hip which is great uh another one he dubbed monkey grip because he has this huge sword another one moss head because he had some moss on his head and uh he's just like this is how he's labeling them in his head because he doesn't actually know their names and i just wanted to make sure like, nobody actually does this in real life, right? Or or do you do this? I mean, I guess I kind of heard that might make it easier to remember people's names. But I I always just assume, well, I mean, I know it's a thing in uh, in books and written media because you need to have some way of identifying people when all you have is text. But, like, in visual media like movies, lots of times you just don't know people's names necessarily. But, like, you see their face and you're like, okay, that's the dude that's hot young scully um and i guess i did just label him because we don't have a visual uh we are also working on an entirely text medium basically except we are speaking the text uh but when you just normally meet people you you just recognize them by how they look right you don't label them with things yeah i think some people i think more people will claim to do it than actually do it um Mm. but like i i I'm really bad with names and faces, but what I am able to do, like I was at um, my wife's company's Christmas party, and I swear every one of their husbands works in tech, which is funny. Um, and I think, <laughs> so does hers. Right. So does hers. And so one, I think one was named David and one was Doug. I forget now the names, but like I was able to be like, okay, yeah, Dave is the guy who's wearing a sports jacket and he's the only one here wearing a sports jacket. So like... I'll pick out a thing about them, right? 
but I, I won't give him, you know, I'm not going to in my head call him sports jacket. Right. Yeah. Um, although I might've done that on the way home when we were talking, I can't remember, but yeah, no one does that in real life. What jumped out at me that I thought was fun was that monkey grip was, uh, that virtue that June got for handling oversized weapons. Yeah. So good, good tag. Say, so, I was just wondering when you mentioned, uh, all your wife's coworkers having friends or having husbands in the tech industry are could she's it's hospice work, right? Uh, in this, uh, specifically social work, um, social work. Yeah. Okay. Social work. Oh, sorry. I just hit my mic. Uh, social work in the hospice um, industry right now. Are do they all have a similar background as your wife? Like in in terms of socially, how they were brought up, and the 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 you know, I don't know the culture. I'll have to, okay. I'll find out because I am curious. I think I think that line of work attracts a certain kind of person, and I think that yeah. I think that kind of person it looks like is also attracted to people who. Uh, are the exact opposite of them. And so those people work in tech. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it's, um, I think it's a niche enough thing that people can do slash handle slash whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really curious. Like if all of them all worked in tech, then that, that seems to point uh, in a certain direction. And I'm like, now I want to know if, if they are all, you know, similar ish in their like base personality and social backgrounds. I think there were four coworkers there. I think one's partner couldn't make it. And so of the three that were there, two were software developers and one sold, like I worked as a tech salesperson, um, like sold software as a service uh, stuff. So Have we had this conversation before. I'm getting some deja vu here. I don't know. Hmm. Let's push past it. So okay. I, I like Shuriken Bucket, Monkey Grip, and Mossed more than Heath, Aster, and Basil because... I don't know who she's talking to. And mm-hmm. um, like, it seems like all the good plant names were taken over the centuries because Basil is a good name for a cat, not a person. But apparently there's some hey. important general named uh, Onion. So uh, <laughs> I think the Pendrags are just <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Basil is a decent English name. Wasn't uh, Austin Powers, um, was it his handler or his uh, Q uh, equivalent was named Basil? I think it was, yeah, but... That was Austin Powers. I mean, oh well. I mean, I guess sure that's true. They also had Doctor Evil and Fat Bastard. So right, I should have, I should have brought that up. Like, yeah, sure. And then Fat Bastard was also a character. <laughs> All, right. All right. Okay. I guess I can't use that. I but just thought Basil was a normal name. It, it could be. I I like a food names for cats, um, mm. and it, and bread names in particular. The only reason my cat is called Zelda is because that was her name at the shelter, and it's already a great name. So, yeah. Um, all right, real quick. This this is a beat that I'll try not to hit every time it comes up anymore because it's going to be every mm-hmm. time. But I'm, I think I'm still getting used to Raven being on the team. Mm-hmm. But she Emerilis is introducing them, and oh yeah, this is Juniper, and this is Raven Masters, and oh named after the knight, and she says something like that, <laughs> which just you know I just imagine kind of a shrug, and yeah, yeah, something. But anyway, casual closet badassery. She seems to like often, I I get the feeling this is something she gets a lot. And she always just goes like, yeah, something like that. Because it it almost seems like it's such a pain in the ass for her to explain that she's the Raven Masters every time. That unless it's someone she's going to interact with more than once in her life, she just doesn't bother correcting them. Oh, yeah, of course. It's kind of the impression I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if I was that level of famous or uh, I think Tony Hawk 
he was on Celebrity oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Wheel of Fortune. And maybe, maybe this isn't where he told that story, I forget. But it was like, you know, anyone ever tell you I look like Tony Hawk? And yeah, they, they do, actually. I am. Oh, no, you're not Tony. You're not him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I would just, you know, Raven is a, a fucking legend. People would want to talk to her. So yeah, no, I'm just, my parents were fans, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I like the uh, the way to sum up what Amaryllis has been up to. One of the guys is, is, all right, now that we're halfway through our trip, more or less, would you like to tell me how you ended up as the de facto leader of a nation of frogs? Hmm. <laughs> and I just thought that was perfect phrasing. You know, from the outside, you look at like, okay, yeah, last we heard you were thrown out of an airplane into zombie land, and now you're, uh, what, president of, of frog world? Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's the frog princess. Frog princess. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Last thing, then. I think I've been grabbing a lot of stuff here, but... Um, they asked about what happened in Leo. Oh yeah, we were there. Um, and then she pauses and looks at Juniper and you know, actually Juniper is the one who killed it. And okay. then he's like, he kind of gets like stage, whatever, not fright, but I think, you know, he's gets self-conscious. Well, it wasn't, he's thinking to himself, it wasn't technically true. All I'd done was attack using a combination of blood and bone magic. And like yeah. now he's all modest about it in his head. But earlier he's like, well, I killed Bomerath earlier. This ain't no big deal. Like a couple dragons, whatever. Um, it's it's just weird that like now he's modest, but then the like the very next thing he gets to say is the exact opposite of modesty. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I like the fact also that like he didn't voice his modesty; he just kind of like kept a, a straight face. So all anyone that's looking at him sees is just kind of like this stony badass just sitting there. When when Amaryllis is saying like, "Yeah, he killed the fucking Mumrath," and the guys are like, "They were bringing in star mages to remove the body. That's how big it was." And June's like. I'm a fairly capable warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it the sound like he just awesome deadpan. It's awesome. If you like, I don't know if he was trying to go like to kind of roll off like the attention of it, in which case that's mm-hmm. what happens when you ditch your social skills or mm-hmm. if he was aiming for bad motherfucker, then he hit it right on the head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, it was, that, it was big. he was doing. Yeah, I've hit yeah. bigger. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of effort, but nothing I couldn't handle. Yeah, there there was a great line where it might have been right after this, where one of the guys like moves his shuriken bucket closer to him, and he's like, "How much firepower are we packing on this tram right now?" <laughs> yeah, and it made me think of because uh, this might have been the same guys who were like, you know, what are you feeding this this guy? Is he human or whatever? So apparently, June is a fucking giant now. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't been tracking that really because he hadn't given us you know a measurement, um, but now I'm just picturing somebody who looks like Jack Reacher. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a line in that show, which is, it's really funny. Like it's some of the dialogue is, uh, you can tell it's like pulled from a book. And I think it's because it's not taking itself that seriously that it can mm. get away with lines of like this police precinct is more crooked than skull than a back with scoliosis or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, nice. But there's, there's a like bit, the old timey, uh, the old timey crime novels. Exactly. Um, there, there's these guys, they're going to beat him up outside of like his hotel room or whatever. And he's like, they're like, you know, we're about to kick your ass. And he's like, no, I'm about to break three. So there's four of these guys. He's like, no, I'm about to uh, break three guys' arms or something. I can't remember exactly his exact phrasing. I'm about to break the arms of three guys. And they're like, there's four of us. And he's like, yeah, one of you has to drive to the hospital. (laughs) And without the sense it's not, you know, whatever, this guy kicks a lot of ass. He goes on to kick their asses. And then he's looking at the last guy who just kind of like raises his hand and he's like, I know where the hospital is. 
Awesome. So I think that's what it would be like if June was just beating up muggles, right? Like, that's what it was like when they got mugged. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. What do you think of a uh, big stick diplomacy? I think this is epic. This this was, uh, I forget the, what the what was called in American history, but this, this is a thing. Um, the principle of big stick diplomacy is letting the other party know ahead of time that you really do have the bigger stick. And yeah, I think that was uh, Teddy Roosevelt. That sounds I'm right. Not mistaken. From the yeah, political said, cartoons, uh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Walk, uh, speak softly, but carry a big stick. That sounds right. Anyway, I like it. I think it's fun. And it's just like, yeah, I, uh, I absolutely could kill all of you while sit, staying in my seat. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you let them know that and they won't fuck with you. Right. Hopefully. Yes. Or you let them know yeah. that and they say, try me and you just bend over and let them, you know, but that's, that's only if you're, <laughs> I was about to say, we will get back to this near the end of the episode. I'll try to only throw shade at him a couple more times for it. Okay. And it was, uh, it was Raven that quoted that, uh, Uther big stick diplomacy thing, right? Yeah. I think so. Because then, yeah, Heath says, turns her, he's like, sorry, who are you? And she's like, Raven Masters, the last living knight of the square table. And there's dead silence on the tram. And they listen to the sound of it going over the track. And I mean, I could absolutely picture that. And it was badass and wonderful. Yeah, it's, this is probably, I don't know if she enjoys these moments or not. I think, I hope part of her does, because it's part of the fun of being an action hero. Just be like, wait, mm-hmm. you're the Raven Masters? But yeah, the, the casual big dick energy with the reveal is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Raven just all the time. I, yeah. I think it's there's something fun about her being the, you know, she's quiet, modest, whatever, but she is not the least bit shy when it when it comes to it to flex mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm the Raven Masters, right? Mm-hmm. I won't yeah. force you to kiss my ring, but... If I did tell you to, I could make you right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um. So the they get to talking to Amaryllis. Uh. Well, I guess they have been talking this whole time, but she mentions that she got a death sentence, and Aster says technically the trial by adversity isn't actually a death sentence, which not a great time. He is told, you know, not a great time to bring this up, dude. But. It reminded me of, remember the time when Uther threw a dude out the window? <laughs> and then people are like, what the fuck, man? He's like, look, the defenestration was the trial uh, because of narrative reasons. You know, if, if he was a foe worth worth being a foe, then being thrown out the window wouldn't kill him, right? <laughs> Falls and, from great heights aren't dangerous to important people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it occurs to me that Amril has totally passed that test. She was like thrown out of plane and everyone was like, okay, bye. Uh, but she came back and like the the trial of adversity was literally passed. She she was not killed by a uh, a fall from a great height. So uh, th- this means she's important. Uh, you know, it would have been like further evidence of the assassination attempt if they didn't give her the land safely tattoo um, mm-hmm. and she had to find some other way of slowing down. But, yeah, but I mean, she was in a exclusion zone where she was expected to die. Plus, she had some assassins sent after her. Right. That's the thing is she she doesn't bring the assassins up with everybody who talks about it. But um, yeah. yeah, like, yes, on paper in the courts, it was a trial of, of adversity. But I they the papers didn't mention or the, the legal documents don't mention the fucking assassins. So, yeah, they really did try to kill me. Um, That's true. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was I, a yeah, good job. I, I just loved how neatly it tied into the whole narrative thing where Uther implemented this trial adversity and we start out the book literally 
with with this happening and them proving that they are you know protagonists by by surviving that and literally everybody we met except for maybe some of the future coterie people all of them died yeah yeah that's a good point uh, so they're talking about Amaryllis's book, The Princess Diaries, which not her book, it's her diaries that were published. And uh, one of the cousins mentions that he asked some questions about it. And Amaryllis is like, uh, did you read it? And he said, I've read it through osmosis, um, which I, is, I loved the way he put that because that's a super common thing. And, you know, also kind of, I think, the aspiration of anyone who writes to become so big that people know your work through as osmosis uh even if they haven't read it or watched it themselves like uh like stephen king's it or star wars you still want them to buy a copy but you know if they're if they're, if they're not gonna if they, like you'd rather them have a receipt than just have a knowledge of the book right but if, maybe if, if, if you really is... care about like the idea getting out there then you'd rather everyone know it than have paid for it if the book is so big that a lot of the population knows it by osmosis. I think you're already well, well off. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I mean, certainly the examples you mentioned, and that's, I think that's the case for me with like most of classic literature. My family guy did mm-hmm. like some of those specials where like, it's just him reading from a book and then they'll do like, you know, here's us doing uh great Gatsby, um, mm-hmm. which I did read and I hated that book. I think the classics all sucked. I think that, I mean, not all of them, you know, don't find me with like the one that wasn't shit, but Right. Things just happened out of nowhere for no reason. There's no characterization. I think storytelling has just gotten better in the last century. And yeah, I agree. I think that there must be different expectations before because who could read that and be like, this was amazing. It's like, no, it's not. You really have to squint to find anything. It's like reading the Bible for moral wisdom. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's there, but like, it is not obvious. And there are so many better places to get it. Sorry again to do a drive-by shooting at religion, but it's just a perfect, perfect example. Uh, <laughs> I mean, religion's a very big, easy, slow-moving target, so it's hard not to shoot at it sometimes. Yeah, such a big fish in such a small barrel. <laughs> yes, exactly. Have you uh, ever seen any of the Star Trek series? Uh, I've never seen an episode. See, so you, I'm assuming, know a lot about Star Trek purely through osmosis. Yeah. I know of Spock. I know of uh, Captain Kirk being erratic. I know Picard is the chill one that everyone loved. Um, yeah, I know that's not an significant amount. Plus, I saw um, uh, the Orville, uh, which ah. was basically Star Trek. Yes. So, but like all the same characters, just different names, which is kind of funny. Like that's just the trope, apparently. And, he, you know, he knew what he was doing. But Well, and also, you know, it's parody. So slightly different, but, you know, it, it has the Star Trek feel, definitely. Yeah. I would say Star Trek than Star Trek Discovery or, or Picard were the newer Star Trek series. Those were both pretty awful and not at all Star Trek. Oh, I forgot they did like a, a one-off with Picard. Um, yeah. Which sucks because, you know, Brian Cranston or Brian Cranston, um, Robert <laughs> Patrick Stewart, uh, it's like a Robert Patrick Stewart um, is, you know, a, a fucking treasure. And yeah. he, he probably thought it would be good, but yeah. he's also, think, I think, just at the level where he just does whatever the fuck he wants. Like he, he plays uh, the the main or whatever the dad's boss on American Dad at, oh, the, at the CIA. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know and that. The guy's a, a a beast and a just a terrible, you know, like monster of a person. So like they they call Patrick Stewart or they send him like, hey, can you just read this line? And yeah, you bet. And it's like you know something about doing Molly with you know some kids, you know, or what like insane shit, right? Mm-hmm. I'll have to find a clip. Anyone who's seen American Dad knows what I'm talking about, but. I love that that's Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Every time that Bullock is on the show, I'm just like, they got Patrick Stewart to say that. Like, <laughs> um, 
cool. That's got to be a lot of fun. It's great. Uh, so the cousins, speaking of being idiots, Aster asks um, about Rose Mallow, who was Amaryllis's aunt and like mentor, protector kind of person, like the Obi Wan Kenobi to to uh, her Anakin Skywalker. And uh, add, when Amaryllis says, "Yeah, I got betrayed by her," basically, Aster was like, "Did she ever explicitly say that she would protect you?" And like this, this fucking guy <laughs> is an idiot, and I would not want someone that stupid on my team. Because that's that's stupid even for Slytherining, in my opinion. I mean, unless he's playing one level higher than us, I don't know what the hell he's asking that for. Like, yeah. you know, did you make sure she wasn't crossing her fingers behind her back? Like, I know, right? I mean, because she could have said, yes, she'll protect me. But like, also people can lie. Um, mm-hmm. it, this is a thing in Methods of Rationality, too, where like, you know, you promise and say, yeah, I promise. And like, people just took that really seriously. Um mm-hmm. And granted, there was magical mind reading and stuff there, but like with this, you know, it's like people. So what if she said it or not? Like, a if she didn't, strongly implied. And if she did, she could have been lying. And mm-hmm. it's it's I don't know. This guy, I think this was there to show us that not uh, that there are Slytherins and then there are Slytherins, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Like if someone has taken you under their wing and they're your mentor for years, and then they just kind of throw you out the window. It doesn't matter that she never uttered the words, I explicitly say now I will protect you. That's fucking betrayal, and everyone knows it. Yeah, uh, I agree. Fucking... This this guy, I don't know what he's getting at. And I suspect he's getting at nothing. It was a dumb question showing us that he's dumb. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, June is also noticing that, you know, Amaryllis is being uh, visibly and publicly hostile towards Rose Mallow here in the tram. He's thinking, you know, the fact that she's reacting with hostility towards Rose Mallow was at least partly because she thought it was to her benefit. So, I mean, even if she is upset at being betrayed, he does believe that Amrilis has enough presence of mind and ability to control her emotions that if being hostile, if being seen to be hostile towards her in public would have been against her interests, then she just wouldn't do it. And so the fact that she is doing it means that she thinks in, she suspects in some way that it, it, would benefit her to be so i was like oh my god like just just the plotting the slithering it never ends with these people it seems exhausting Mm -hmm. i can see why she i think wasn't eager to get back in as princess like this would again just growing up in slytherin house would be i don't know everything is a show all the time you know yeah and so part of me was wondering too, you know, maybe she is actually mad and it's slipping through, but that's just not her style. Like when she gets mad, it's in private mm-hmm. and she's, I don't think we've ever seen her lose her cool at a disadvantage, at a disadvantageous moment. Yeah. I mean, I think she actually is mad, but the fact that she's showing it is calculated. She's allowing herself to show it. Right. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. She, she's mad, but she's, um, she's signaling anger on purpose. Yeah. Uh, I had to pull this out because I get two cookies for 100% calling it. Uh, you did? So she says, I started keeping the diary when I was nine. I burned the diary from the first year, then began keeping one that was a little more circumspect in what it included. And <laughs> I had guessed that she was eight, but I was spot on. So that, you were? That just sounds like her. Um, yeah. I, but then I went on to make a wrong prediction at the end of this chapter because uh, June says, I trusted Amaryllis to keep her cool, which just sounds like she's totally going to lose her cool, right? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't. Uh, they yeah. they go on to the white room, which is uh, the next chapter, and basically Mary's place from HPMOR. Oh yeah, and, and that yep, you are correct in that it's completely 
uh, as safe as a um, meeting place you can get in terms of not being overheard by other people. Yeah. Yeah. No windows and all this, you know, expensive methods of keeping people or keeping things private. Um, mm -hmm. Well, oh, I think I mentioned last week that I thought that the white room was the Black Widow factory. Um, mm -hmm. But that was the red room. So ah, lest anyone okay. think I don't know my colors. That makes more sense, seeing as they're all commies. Yeah, right. I, 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 find, I finally saw that movie on uh, on the airplane on the way to Hawaii. And, you know, I, I'm glad that I saw it on the airplane because it would have been a waste of my life otherwise. But, gosh, it was – especially the Red Puncher dude was so much fucking fun. He was uh, – her dad, her adoptive dad. What was oh, his yeah. name? I forget his name too, but he was fun. Oh, um, he was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed – all his like just bad dad jokes and kind of he was a great character and then uh um god why am i blanking on her name the her, the woman who played her mom uh evie from mm. the mummy uh what the oh, hell am i blanking that was on? that was her that was her yeah oh okay i didn't recognize her it's been like you know 20 years yeah but she she's responsible for an entire generation's first boners like um <laughs> all righty so that was uh, oh you know she's married to Daniel Craig. I did not know that. I, I learned that recently. Though that is an attractive couple, and mm -hmm. I am feeling like an idiot for blanking our name, but I refuse to Google it. So let's push through. All right. Okay. Uh, I the one of the not one the first thing that Rose Mallow asks her when they sit down to talk is, "What kept me up at night was a simple question. Why didn't you write?" And that pissed me the fuck off. That lying piece of shit bitch just pretending that was what kept her up at night like fuck her fuck i would have walked out the room right then maybe not because i hope i'm smart enough not to walk out the room after being just personally insulted like that but that was some bullshit man i mean do we know i do we know that she's a baddie like did i miss some strong evidence or is it just like obvious and i'm dumb like i i don't think that she's a baddie in any more than you know anyone else in that castle is but just the fact that she was her mentor she just kind of abandoned her and then she's like my question is why didn't you write that's it's like classic narcissist turning things around to victim blame her uh amaryllis and like make it about how amaryllis was doing a bad thing by not having written her like fuck you i was fighting for my life because you betrayed me and you want to know why i didn't write i didn't do anything wrong eat a dick <laughs> i i see what you're saying i i think amaryllis is right in that it's not like narcissism it's more just like getting amaryllis on the back foot like all right defend yourself rather than you know engage me on the shit i did right um yeah which, but yeah, again, yeah, it's fuck her. yeah, slippery Slytherin stuff. She gives me quirrell vibes for sure. Um, you mm. know, like making putting Harry on the back foot, right? Uh, oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. You, I was looking through your notes, and you something. You said something like she feels like what quirrell would be if he had mothering instincts. I was oh, like, yeah. that is a really fucking good analysis. I forget exactly what she said. It was something like, "I'll do my best to protect you if you take my deal" or something. Which is mm -hmm. just like one step past what Quirrell would say as far as like, um, you know, any sort of nurturing instinct, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that because um, it, it is an obviously dumb question, even if it is putting Amaryllis like on, you know, in defensive mode. It's like, yeah, I survived an attempted, attempted assassination and I've been doing some version of laying low. Um, mm -hmm. Like, why are you 
that that's why get off my get off my back but yeah it's about not I mean, she's, letting amaryllis lead the conversation yeah she's literally just trying to emotionally manipulate amaryllis with that question and that you know ticked me off it was such a blatant bullshit emotional um manipulation attempt that uh, i don't i you know you know how when you you get a um time pressure during any sort of negotiation like for a car or something and they're like oh you gotta hurry you you gotta make this decision the next hour and you're like oh well okay in that case never mind i'm out of here because you just like don't play that game yeah i i felt the same way about this like if someone dropped that on me i'd be like oh yeah fuck you i'm out because i don't even bother with that shit you're obviously not here for good faith anything smart yeah it's like okay yeah mm-hmm. oh you're that kind of person yep never mind lose my phone number we're done yeah yeah. And yeah, because then she says that the, the yeah the reason she betrayed uh, um, Amaryllis like that was that their p- political opponents put in a extremely high bid to get Amaryllis off the board, and uh, and then she because they expected her to spend a lot of resources fighting back, and instead she just kept all those resources and let them overcommit like crazy. She says they put in a high bid, my young blossom, and they greatly overpaid. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hate Rose Mallow. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I didn't betray you. I knew you would survive, you know, like... Yeah, it, right? Yeah. Uh, I liked where Amaryllis' reply is like, oh, so you could, you know, get one over on them by having them overcommit. And she says, get one over on them? Who have you been spending time with that you would speak that way? And mm-hmm. she says, powerful people who are less concerned with the decorum than you are. Loyal people. And I'm yeah. like, oh, snap, you go, girl. That's right. <laughs> then this too, such a f- perfect quarrelism. Amaryllis says, you didn't know about the Fuchsia Coterie? And Rosemary says, not until a week later, it was an example of our opponents overplaying their hand, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, see, this is exactly the kind of thing Quirrell would say. And mm-hmm. the annoying part is that half the time Quirrell was being honest. And so mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't notice that Miss Granger was missing from the cafeteria until after, you know, she was dead, Mr. Potter. I'm sorry. Right. Um, yeah. You know, or, or, you know, it's, it could have been, could have been honest. Um, you know, Dude, I'm she- now picturing... I'm now picturing Rose Mallow with Quirrell's voice. A girl version of it, which yeah, sounds so ridiculous. Resp- I love it. <laughs> <laughs> those responsible at the ground level, at least those I could identify, have been dealt with accordingly. Yay. <laughs> so great. Oh, I, yeah, I'm glad you I, read more, that More part. girly. Yeah, I pulled that out on purpose because then I forgot to read it. Because, yeah, that's, that's a, that, that is Quirrell verbatim, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he, did, if he didn't say exactly that line at some point, he said something to that effect of like, oh, no, those responsible have been dealt with. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. perfect. Uh, yeah. So then she says, uh, Rosemary is talking to Amaryllis and says, well, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know, shirking your burden was never an option for you. Not because of your privileged position of whatever being Uther's descendant, but because you never had the temperament necessary to sit by while work was being done or people in need. And it just reminded me that Amaryllis is burdened with glorious purpose. Um, oh, what is that? What is that from? <laughs> that's Loki. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that was his whole thing until he kind of got his head out of his ass. Um, mm-hmm. But Amaryllis is. She's never been one to like just sit back and let life happen, right? Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean she has to sit here with deal with these jerks all the time. Um, I mean, yeah, it's the seat of power in the Empire, but she's BFFs with the next Uther, and she's starting her own country. You know, all right, right, fuck you guys. With you guys have your country. and hookers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine many people who haven't seen that episode of, of Futurama still have heard that through cultural osmosis. Um, yeah. There, so I think that she says something. I forget the 
exact um exact line that led up to this about like oh no you know i've got power or something something whatever but uh what's name? rose mallow says i'm skeptical of any plan that or any plan that would launch you toward becoming one of the most powerful creatures on air in so little time as highly as i think of you and i'm just like hey have you met my friend juniper like (laughs) she has not actually no she hasn't but it's like oh well yes you don't need to understand the plan because i i I am um, already you, on top you, of this shit. You should meet my friend, right? Yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going places. <laughs> oh, and speaking of your "have you met my friend Juniper" thing, uh, Rosemallow says, "If you decide that you want to stay here to take the mantle of princess back up, we'll have to talk further about the things you're keeping hidden." And I, you know, it's it just Rosemallow has got the wrong read of the situation, and it's kind of great that we know this and she doesn't, because Rosemallow thinks that Amaryllis is the protagonist, because like. Obviously, she's Uther's closest living relative. She's a princess. She survived the the trial of adversity by being thrown out a window. So she obviously is a protagonist. But she like Rose Mallow is not aware of June, or like maybe just barely kind of thinks of him as a bodyguard or something. And so she's got absolutely the wrong focus on this whole thing. And I think that's gonna fuck her. I hope it does. Um, you know, it's an easy mistake to make though. Amaryllis walks around with big protagonist energy, and yeah. Uh, and I keep using the phrase big dick energy or variations thereof because <laughs> that in a sentence is like how I described um, the show Jack Reacher to to people. Like it's like, yeah, colossal dick energy is the thing. Like, and he, but, but with all, all of the, like I can back it up power behind it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you know, if June wasn't on the scene, she would be the, she in fact was the protagonist, right? Um, mm-hmm. In the Cypress timeline, I don't think that anyone else counts as the protagonist. Granted, we were reading her books, but she was the one who couldn't possibly ascend higher while still being like not a god, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't know who June is, Amaryllis is totally your your story's protagonist. Yeah, Amaryllis is awesome. Yeah. All okay. Right. Well, term meeting with uh, Rose Mallow is done, and so we continue on to chapter one seventy nine, Hilbert's Paradox, named after Hilbert's Hotel. Uh, which we will figure out why here in just a second uh, when we get to the hotel. Um, But June, when he's talking about library magic with Raven (laughs) uh, and she's, she's talking about one of the uh, paradoxes uh, in the library and June was like, yeah, I guess I did talk about you with that, but I, I don't know what, I don't understand it now because I was cheating skating by on what my power provided me with. And Raven thinks, man, that's really how profound it is to lose something that you had such a talent for profound for me i guess not for you but i mean like she's she's really got a point like just so quickly he he went from being a master to nobody not even being familiar with the terms and i mean i realize skills degrade from disuse and the constant advancement of tech will leave you behind if you're not keeping up with it but but to go from a master to a pleb in hours is like for a normal person, now take brain damage. Like I think, I think I would hate that because it would feel like brain damage if it happened to me. Yeah, I think June's in a unique situation where the pros definitely outweigh the cons because he also yeah. gets to go from pleb to master in just a few days. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you know, sure, I lost the equivalent of thirty years of practice, you know, in five minutes, but it also only took me a couple of days to get there. So, mm-hmm. um, and he also, you know, he traded his now useless knowledge of the Dewey Decimal System 2.0 for new magic powers, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, like, people consider their skills, especially the ones they've mastered, um, 
like a part of themselves. It's, you know, part of who you are that you know how to do certain things that other people don't know how to do as well. And like June, in the regards of uh, of his skill set, at least, is sort of like a chameleon person that can just switch from from being one kind of person to another in, in at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so, you know, people are more than the sum of their skills or that, but that is part of, yeah. you know, like we, we've used the analogy of, uh, you know, the picture of you that lives in your head and the placard underneath it with your traits on it. Like mm-hmm. the things you're great at will be on that list. Um, and yeah, his, his changes, but, you know, I wonder if he'd even bother putting, you know, if he's self-identifying and listing who he is or stuff about him, I don't think he would say, you know, Magus level blood mage, whatever. I, I think, I don't think magic could even make the list. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. But for us who, I think it's because it took him no time to get there. Well, not no time, but yeah. next to no time. You know, if for him, it would be things like uh, creating worlds. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, dungeon mastering. Yeah. I'm a DM. I'm a, I'm a story creator, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Things that he actually worked hard on and spent his life doing rather than things he was just gifted by a system. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, uh, moving on, Raven does ask him if Amaryllis ever mentioned the, her diary, and June says no, and then he's like, oh, you think this is the Outer Reaches? And I hadn't thought that until just now. I was just <laughs> like, yeah, it's a diary. It didn't really come up in conversation, so not that big a surprise. But like, now June's got me thinking, because we did hear about the Outer Reaches, like, the chapter before we learned about this huge diary thing that is such a big deal right now, and w- that was never even mentioned before. I'm like, is this is this another meta thing? Like, was the diary introduced into the world through an Outer Reach Schloss type event? And, wow, like, wouldn't it be fucked up if you couldn't even trust your own history as you remember it to be real? Or I guess it is real now, but it wasn't real yesterday. <laughs> Right. I mean, like, their lives are already fucking bonkers that is, as it is, right? They're mm-hmm. aware that they're in a story. They're aware that, I mean, not precisely that they're in a book called Worth the Candle, but they're aware that there is a narrative governing their lives. Um, mm-hmm. They they know a guy, or they hang out with a guy who's talked to the creator of the universe, allegedly. And, uh, I mean, the idea that your own histories could be out of reach at any time, then nothing can be counted on again, right? Yeah. So... Fortunately, Raven says that they never had a time when the Schloss affected the lives of the party members. Well, not that they know. That, not that, well, not that they know, but it seemed like Uther had some way of telling. But there's al- there's also no reason this couldn't be the first time, right? Um, That's yeah. Like the thing is, the diary thing never coming up before makes sense since there's no point in mentioning it before. Mm-hmm. But and it's also totally in character for Amaryllis. And then parenthetically, and then I put a little ladder emoji. It's in character for this Amaryllis. Maybe she's less paranoid before the rewrite, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, of course it's in character for her. I made her this way when I re- when I changed who she was. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, oh. we can run with that same concern in our own lives. And then eventually, you know, you might, you might spend some time agonizing about it. Or you might just skip straight to the end, which is like, there's nothing I can do about it. So fuck it. Well, sure, but then <laughs> then we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> oh no, no! I mean, for us, for them, like we'll keep our eyes peeled. But I, the only way we'll know is if we find contradictions. But yeah. it seems like that would never. That's not how these work, right? 
It, well, it sounded like there's they're a little leaky, which is how Uther found out about them in the first place, that they weren't quite perfect, and he could find some contradictions when he really looked. I think that... So maybe, maybe they can find something if they really dig into this? I don't know if they have any motivation to, any reason to, you know? It's in the world now as it is. Yeah, but if you want, like, the Outer Reachers to stop, I mean, the... Right. Like, the the other girls that he didn't save on his first day on Arab, possibly having been Amaryllis, right? Um, mm-hmm. That that could have been some schlossing on his first day. But the thing is, how could you possibly know? You know, when he becomes God, maybe he can go through the logs and check. But like, <laughs> yeah. other than that, you know, there's there's nothing much to do. So like, but as us reading it, we can keep our eyes peeled for that sort of thing. But even then, we're just speculating. Um, yeah. I, I'll have to think about, I mean... Like the thing is, I, th- I feel like this is going to be if I if I start looking for for schlosses, I like saying castles more, but I realize that castles are a thing. Um, if I start looking for schloss effects, then I'm gonna I can see them everywhere, and and yeah. by almost by definition, there's basically no evidence for it. So like, yeah, you know, Fen dying was you know was that uh, was that schlossy intervention? Like it sure was contrived, right? Like mm-hmm. he had to forget the fast way to do the healing, but it had to be, of course, soul poison, right? Um, yeah. It had to be something that he couldn't fix right away. Like it, all of these things had to line up for it, but that's also just how things would shake out if you're trying really, really hard to kill somebody. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. And that's my thought well, on it. June, June does have some other thoughts about, uh, Literally the thing you said last uh, last episode that uh, maybe the Schloss stuff is kind of like expansion packs that you can put in. And he likens them to RPG modules, which are, you know, basically the expansion packs of, of tabletop RPGs. And he's like, yeah, these they're like poorly integrated modules. Ideas that were thought up by me when we were halfway through the campaign instead of being planned out from the start. And mainly I was just dragging this in just to give you yet another cookie. Well, that's good. I, I like earning my stack of cookies, but that said, I still don't understand it. Um, like, so that that's my, my guess for how this thing could kind of work. Cause we talked about it with the ice wizards back in the day, but like, I still don't know how you use the idea, you know, you, how do you go to the idea notebook and threaten the ideas? Um, all of this would be one thing if it was just like a thing that they talked about. But it, it changed, yeah. uh, it it changed my ability to understand it completely. When Raven said, "Oh yeah," and we went there and kicked some ass, um, yeah. like th- then it suddenly makes no fucking sense, uh, or, or rather, it becomes impossible. My idea of how to interact with this went out the door or went out the window, and I have no idea how to cope with it after that. So, um, you know how we were saying earlier on that, like, if you're Kratos in a game, how the fuck do you get out into the real world, like? Even if you were to turn to the screen and be like, hey, Ineosh, please put down the controller. Help me out here. I'd be like, what the f-? No. And like, you know, turn off the game or whatever. But uh, e- even if I wanted to help him, like, how would I get him out of the game and into reality? I don't know if that could possibly be a thing. But maybe this is like the book pointing out to us like, hey, there actually is some way for them to get out of the game and interact with the real world. If they were able to, in Uther's past, somehow get out of the game enough to interact with like the ideas being inserted into it, so 
maybe that's maybe that's the the way he's going to find um to kill the dm or fight the dm or something and hack his way into the real world that's a cool line of thinking it just seems like that's not what their adventure there was like right they anchored themselves yeah, in platonic ideas and negotiated a, a ceasefire um yeah but you're right it does maybe the seem DM to was just too powerful yeah it could be that it could be I don't know. You're, you're on. You're on. I think you're on something with like the idea of, you know, here's an example of them having escaped the story world, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I always kind of figured because we talked about the the Kratos being sentient sort of thing before. Like, if like I'd be like, okay, shit. Well, I'll leave my thing on, but what do I do? In case of power surge, like, how do I actually get you out of there? Then he would yeah. have to. He would have to be a super intelligent, or you know, at least way more intelligent than me. Um, entity and explain to me how to save him right like mm-hmm. and then and it's like okay now i can i can i'd be happy to help now that you've laid out all the steps or i can make the decision too right um yeah and how could he possibly know that like he doesn't have access to the code that he's running on no so june might need to get to that level of interaction to well i mean the dm could help him out whenever he wanted he just doesn't want to so it's not yeah. perfectly analogous but yeah well speaking of I mean, weird it- stuff what about this hotel man <laughs> Hilbert's Hotel. It has oh, this thing is awesome. It has an infinite number of rooms with the number of guests limited by practical considerations, such as the time needed to walk to the furthest rooms and how much foot traffic could realistically pass through the corridors during peak hours. And I mean, I really, really love this hotel because I mean, it's kind of like the the concept of the generation ship in Star Trek or not Star Trek, but in uh, science fiction or um or. Uh, archaeologies, I guess, also in science fiction. Just an entire self-contained world is possible here. And this world is like just the dead, simple, infinite, identical rooms in a, in a, as a hotel. It's, it's, God, it's great. And you could have an entire campaign just within this hotel. Like people launching assaults on the, the nation five floors above them or something. I I would this is fantastic I I would love to have an entire campaign just in the hotel yeah it's another one of those um, well I mean this is an example of a like an implementation of a thought experiment that already existed Um, Mm -hmm. but like again this is just like you mentioned uh, in one perspective worth the candle is just a source material for tabletop gaming right yeah, and totally. If someone wants a cool uh, setting for a campaign, like you got it, the Infinite Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this was funny. So there, apparently, there like there's elevator shafts, but with no elevators. And Raven says mm-hmm. there used to be an elevator. The, ele- the elevator didn't have an infinite number of buttons. It had a method that you'd punch in any arbitrary floor. One day, someone—it's unknown who—sent all the little elevators up to some arbitrarily high floor. And that was 20 years ago, and they're all still traveling up. And so you get it. June's like, but why would someone do that just to be a dick? And it's like, yes, June, <laughs> you just turned 18. You know, it's it's hilarious if you're an asshole. Like, yes. So, you know, you know as an unthoughtful teenager, that's exactly the kind of shit you would do. It's, yeah. I feel like any, any of us who had the opportunity pressed all the buttons on an elevator before. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that it would inconvenience anyone who wanted to use the elevator. Um, it's, um, it's a total dick move. But yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if someone didn't do that. Right. <laughs> and so I loved this. This is the this is the two ways one can view the world. Um June asks, why couldn't they just put in new elevator cars retrofitted to the old system? And Amaryllis says, Assume that people have tried whatever you're thinking. 
And then Raven says, or assume it's a failure of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, th- th- those are the two ways, right? Is this just like, no, yeah, everyone tried the thing that you're thinking of and it didn't work. Or yeah, people are dumb and civilization dropped the ball on that. Like th- those are the two lenses, right? And I think the hard part is knowing which problems are which. Yeah. Uh, we haven't actually done an episode on it yet. We'll do it one of these days. Um, Yudkowsky had a short book called Inadequate e- Equilibria, and he gives the example of um, his then wife having seasonal affective disorder real bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a whatever neuroscientist, but he's like, I mean, it, it just takes a, you know, look at it with a, a fresh, uh, what, an original seeing, right? And what's the problem? There's less photons in the winter. So the solution should be photons. And no, not a fucking little lamp. Like, let's go balls out and just deck the house with tons of light bulbs. And that seems to have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, why wasn't this already the solution? And like, that was just a an organizational failure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and but, if- but it's super reasonable for people to look at that and be like, well, I'm assuming someone tried that. And if that was the solution, that would just be the way, right? Right. Because who wouldn't think of just putting in tons of light bulbs? Well, I assume lots of people did think but of it, and then no they just took the amaryllis approach, and it's like, well, now I assume everyone, I assume people tried that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's amaryllis' general approach. I think she was just answering to this one question here. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, it. I think most people stop at the, well, that sounds so easy. Someone would have tried that by now, right? Mm-hmm. But most people, uh, I don't know. I See, now I really want to know which one it was. Like, I, I, I realize June has bigger problems on his hands. But, man, if there was, like, a little gopher that he could send... Why couldn't he send out one of the frog people to research and be like, Hey, frog person, tell me what happened here. Like, did someone try to install these elevator, new elevators? And if it didn't work, why didn't it work? I mean, he could just ask the desk clerk, right? Like, slip yeah, the, 20 maybe? bucks and just be like, tell me about what the elevators... You know, did you guys try to f- fix that problem? And she could she yeah, could but, say, yes, it's been stuck in bureaucratic red tape for 20 years or like, oh God. you know, whatever. Right. She, she might have an answer. I don't know why I yeah, the desk yeah. clerk was a she. Did they ever say they got the keys from a woman or am I just a sexist asshole? I don't know. I don't think it would make you a sexist asshole. No, uh, no, it just it was a receptionist. And I assumed a woman. Stephen, good to notice your biases. And way to suck, but only one when it, I, the only I mean, way to suck less is to notice. That is true, and I mean it's definitely a bias. I'm not sure it means you suck though. Oh wait, the receptionist had a mm-hmm. wall of keys behind her. Aha! Ha-ha! I'm not a sexist. I'm I'm a perfect egalitarian, and I've done oh my no, God, I've never, I've never had a bad thought ever. You wouldn't have been a sexist even if it didn't say her in this chapter. No, I know, but but you know, an implicit bias yeah. there was would have been important, and. I I knew I had it anchored for some reason because the you know, the the guy with the suit behind the counter is also a trope, right? Um, yes, it is. In fact, but uh, if you're talking, but if they if they use the term receptionist just based on your experience with the world, have not the vast majority of people with the title receptionist been female? I think you're probably right. Yeah, I, it's got to be at least ninety percent in my experience. But you know, it's important that we challenge our assumptions, man. No, no, no. I agree no, I know. Uh, that yeah. it's not good, necessarily good to have that bias, but it's also doesn't make you bad because it's simply an accurate reflection of the world as you have seen it. Right. It's, uh, I forget what exactly the context like, you was. You can't literally be a bad person for having a correct view of how the world is, right? 
<laughs> Careful, sir. That is some dangerous talk. <laughs> Son of a bitch. There was a great <laughs> SNL sketch this weekend. Uh, they'd been off the air for a few weeks because they're lazy. And oh, yes. um, John Mulaney, they're out to, he was the host and they're out to dinner. And they're t- I think if you do SNL COVID dinner. Um, I just saw it yesterday. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was perfect. They're, they're talking about, you know, well, maybe masks didn't work and they'll freak their shit. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it. Uh, yeah. You know, facts can be offensive. Inyash. I say I, that with a complete like I, I felt dirty yeah. saying it because you couldn't see me joking. But uh, right, that, right. that is the view that some people have. So it is. Now, don't be an asshole. But you know, the- people can abuse that. Right. But um, let's let's push past all that business. Yeah, another view that people can have is a great view of the lobby from the 39th floor, <laughs> which is where they are. Actually, I guess they can't see the lobby because they've traveled two miles down the eastern wing, so there's no lobby that they can see from here. But yeah, they're up on the 39th floor, two, more than two miles down the eastern wing, uh, because he said, first of all, it's obscure, and second, it's defensible. And I, first of all, I totally want there to be some ho- sort of hotel hallway siege scene at this point because that that would be again like I, I was just fawning over that a little bit ago. But June then says we were probably the only people so high up, and I'm just like, dude, June, that is a total failure of your imagination. Because if you just go one month's walk down the hallway, you swear you're going to find an entire civilization of forgotten bellhop descendants <laughs> or, or something. <laughs> It's it's amazing. I for some reason in my head I I could have sworn that he said like the hotel was like three stories from the outside. Um It is. Okay. So it's bigger on the inside. Well, yeah, and that, you know, we we've, we've seen that before in Bethel, right? But um mm-hmm. later on the uh um the Tung is looking out the window like with the pair of binoculars and I'm like what uh, what is he what angle is he looking at? Um, no, he's oh. at the, when they first go up the stairs, he's at the top looking down towards the lobby. That's yes. Or, looking. Yeah. The edge to see what's going on in the lobby with a pair of pseudo antenna binoculars. Okay. Well then that is my illiteracy coming through. I thought that it was like him looking out the window and I'm like, where is he looking from? Like, remember when Harry was doing that from his little, uh, rooftop office? Yeah. And he was wondering like how this worked with the physics of it right he was thinking like if i shined a laser pointer would people be able to see it or whatever like where would they see it coming mm-hmm. from and mm-hmm. that's that's one way to think about it but if if say their hotel room had windows and they're up there with a sniper rifle could someone shoot back at them like where are those bullets coming from um yeah <laughs> madness uh, <laughs> bullet appears out of nowhere i think it's fuck you it's magic right uh, yep exactly and the other funny thing and this is just the kind of cool world building that would make perfect sense in a hotel like this right is that mm-hmm. the further you are, the more annoying it is to get to your room, the cheaper it is. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, it sounds obvious, but it's just a fun little thing like to think to include. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, what they could have done is June could have had them all link arms, use still magic, and then used his one day of, uh, or once a day, one mile up jump with the ring and get them a super cheap room. Oh, oh wait, they're already two miles. Oh, they're two miles down a hallway with only 39 floors up. Yeah. I'm saying if they went a mile and- up, then they probably could have gotten rooms for super cheap. And it would have been hilarious. 39, yeah. 39 floors I, isn't I'm, anything approaching a mile. Like, they, there's buildings in no, real life no, that are... No, no, it's not. Yeah. Each floor is between, like, what, 10 and 12 feet, I think. So that's, yeah, that's not even 500 feet up. I, yeah, you know, so I was just thinking that um, it, 
Does the super jump ring like bring other people with him? I think it just teleports him up, right? Oh, it's a teleport. It's not a jump. I think you're right that it does. It moves him immediately from the ground to a mile up. I thought it flung him into the air, uh, but I think oh. you're right. I think it teleports him a mile up. Yeah, because if, okay. if it flung him, he would have smacked into the underside of Momrath. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. And I, I guess even if you couldn't bring people with you, I figured if you linked arms and used still magic, then he could. Um, yeah. But yeah, not with the teleporting ring. Okay, well... If he wants oh, to well. go back for a cheap room, he knows how to get it. So, Or at least That's I know right. how to get it. And he can uh, send me a check for the difference in how much he was going to spend on a reasonable room. Um, Fantastic. Okay. So we talked about the uh, the angle that they're looking at, but we didn't talk about the pseudo anti binoculars themselves. Um, that is true. If you, because they are the first ink magic that we see. Yeah. And we don't quite get enough for me to understand how ink magic works. But it might just be illiterate, or I might be, you know, waiting for the reveal. So, um, from what I got from it, it sounds like you can make temporary entads that are not as powerful as regular entads, but you know, they all have to be cool, unique, little, awesome thingies. Yeah, but there's something about like these binoculars, like had to like literally grip your eyeballs or something. Yeah, and like what? Because he couldn't make ones that didn't grip your eyeballs. Like, yeah, if they were just magic binoculars, those probably exist somewhere already, and they aren't fun. Like, I, I think part of the thing about ink magic is it has to be cool little fun things. Okay, then it, the, it literally rewards creativity and and I don't know things being um, whimsical. Whimsical. That's the word I wanted. Yes, it re- rewards whimsy. Whimsy. That's one of my favorites. Um, caprice. Another fancy word for that. Um, <laughs> all right. So then I'm wondering, can he make ten pairs of these binoculars? No, of course not. Then it wouldn't be whimsical anymore that you were just mass producing shit. Okay. So that, that is, that was my thinking. Um, cause he talked about how he got like exhausted trying to make armor for all the people that came with. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was curious, like, why, why didn't you just make 10 of the same kind of armor? But you're right. It can't just be like, and eh, this one deflects bullets. Um, I also wonder what material he's using to smash these things together, but maybe that's the ink. That's probably the ink. Yeah. Or, I don't know, actually. Yeah, yeah, maybe just ex- another ex nilo thing. No, it can't be ex nilo. It's probably something that gets morphed into it. Yeah, maybe you buy like jugs of ink, and that's what you can turn into stuff. Or maybe you can produce X amount of ink per day, depending on much how good of a ink mage you are. I'll jump back to a thing from earlier where Shurik and Bucket leaves, and June was wondering, am I not going to be able to see what those do? Like, is the DM such a dick that he's going to bring in something as ridiculous as a bucket of shurikens and then lo- not let me see them in action? And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, he's exactly that kind of a dick. And now I'm bummed that I won't get to see what these things do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope he shows up and he throws like, I mean, because a bucket full, like <laughs> you, you could remember like uh, back in the day, um, those change dispersers that you'd wear around your, well, we wouldn't wear them, but it, uh, unless you had a job that, whatever, oh. that you press a button, quarters come out, nickels, dimes, whatever. Yeah. 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 You'd think there's a dispensal, a, a dispensing uh, apparatus they could put together for shurikens, right? I would hope so. Like whether it goes in your belt or a backpack or something. He carries around a fucking bucket. Like that that must mean that the it's part has of the to magic. Be part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then why? And I need to know. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, hopefully we get a resolution to that. But I wanted to grab just, and I, I was going to grab some quotes, but there's no real point. But Brian the Frog articulately expresses concerns about the future of the Republic of Minun, and 
he's much more articulate and sapient than I usually like for my expendable clone army. Um, <laughs> it it makes the moral Maybe. concerns of this much more salient, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, they they weren't supposed to be an expendable clone army. Well, I mean, I guess they kind of are, but like, yeah, they're. You know, I guess we were talking about the morality of this just last episode. Yeah. Well, and the other reason I brought it up is because then last episode, Amaryllis was talking about foreshadowing. And then I wondered if this, you know, I guess it's not quite foreshadowing. Well, maybe it is. You tell me. Um, like, was this was this sort of thing foreshadowed when June was killing the frog people on their way to Kumduna and they got notifications uh, with names when, oh, you killed frog, per-, you know, it wasn't you killed uh, Tung soldier, right? It gave I mean, them I don't names. Think it was- I don't think it was really foreshadowing in so much as it was just consistent that th- this is, you know, the new a new theme we're going with that you are killing real people and not just mooks in a video game. Yeah, but like, you know, he was still killing killing um whatever Larkspur's lieutenants and they didn't get names, you know, future could mook defeated. Um it switched with the frog people. I think that was like what jumped out at us. Um mm-hmm. and you're right, foreshadowing is not the same thing, but I guess what it might be. The reason I was thinking that is because I think that was the story telling me early on that, no, these aren't just expendable nothings, right? Yeah. Um, they, they are in fact more valuable than the, um, like the people who worked in Amon's tower. Right. And mm-hmm. even June is agonizing. Like the people have jobs, like, you know, they're, they have jobs to support families. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting people who don't deserve it just to get, to the top of this building um it's so i think since they didn't get names and these people did that might have been just kind of telling us like yeah by the way we're not going to be able to just wipe our hands of the morality of what we do with these people yeah hmm it it was cool i'm I'm glad that you uh you you felt more conflicted now that uh now that you see the flock people are people like i it it hadn't quite occurred to me just because i've always Figured, you know, the people are people for the most part, but um, it, it was a good humanizing moment. I don't know what exactly I was expecting of them. I mean, because Eswin's obviously sapient and intelligent, but I guess, again, I was picturing a clone army. I don't think in the original trilogy you ever saw a clone without the helmet. Like, and uh, well, well, they, they weren't clones, clones they the were original. just stormtroopers, but, you know, yeah, they were the expendable bad guys without faces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... It, and so when when the good guy cuts them up, you're like, yay. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that makes watching John Wick so enjoyable is the, you know, the it, the kind of horror because he's killing people. And it's, you know, you, you watch them get savaged and you're like, oh, shit. Um, that, that's part of the thrill of those movies. Uh, hmm. So does I that, don't know. Does that continue in the later movies? Because I heard it started getting ridiculous superhero-y powers. Uh, not in John Wick. Um, like by the time we get to John Wick three, apparently there's just like a, half the world's population is secretly assassins, and they they have silencers that they can just shoot at each other in a crowd and nobody notices. And oh sure, silly I mean, things like that. There's there's dumb movie stuff, but like he, it's not like he can suddenly jump two stories or dodge bullets or anything. Um, okay, like he still has to like really try when he's killing people. Um, okay. Yeah. So it, like, I think in the, I, I think I saw most of the third one. I don't know if I finished it and I forget if this was the second or the third, but he kills a guy with a big book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he sh- like basically curb stomps him with it. Um, 
but it's not like he he can he can do that because he's super strong. He, he made it look like it was really effortful. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> cool. All right, so they're they're sitting there talking about like, all right, Amaryllis, what are you going to do with uh, the um, you know, or, or, or what are we doing with this Anglican business? And Raven says Anglican isn't the goal. Minyun isn't either. It's not clear at this point what the goal actually is, but we're operating under the premise that an assault on Felsi is going to be part of it in order to find out once and for all where Uther is, why he left, and possibly to rescue him. And I just had to give Raven a high five because I was sitting there following the flow of this conversation. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then Raven came in with like the you know hammer of truth. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, Raven. You got your eye on the ball. Um, yeah. I, I was getting distracted by all this, this near-term shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get distracted by near-term shit, too. Well, and it's it's big near-term shit, like dragons, right? But it's mm-hmm. she's she's not forgotten the end game. And yeah. uh, this was funny, just because it, it made me think. Um, so Palada asks, you know, what did you get uh, arrested for in the first place? This was all moving money around? And Amarillo says, it's not really important. And June says, yeah, she t- thinks to himself, she told me back when we first met, but it was so painfully boring that I hadn't paid much attention. And it made just just nostalgic for the early part of the story when, you know, adorable little ADD June before he had real problems and brain enhancing virtues. Um, mm. And like, oh, sorry, what? I wasn't listening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Lunny laundering. Okay, sure. Great. Did yeah. I say Lunny laundering? Money laundering. Jesus. Well, I mean, what's wrong with me? Well, I thought that you were playing, make, making a joke of June only half listening, but. Uh, oh, no. no. E- either way. Uh, yeah, but apparently she was Robin Hooding some money and racketeering some funds to projects that aimed to utilize exclusion zones. Um, I guess uh, like that was frowned upon, but I think it's awesome. Um, am mm-hmm. I missing something? Uh, no, Other no, I that think that's that's maybe what happened. Maybe, she was, oh, I guess, like about it being awesome though, like in, oh, you know, um, researching exclusion zones. I, I guess it depends on how you feel about the. Um, how money should be allocated in the government and whether some people should be allowed to divert funds from what they have officially been decided to be used for to be used for their own projects. Like, I might be upset if I find out that a senator uh, diverted funds that I thought were going to be used for. I I, I don't even know whatever. You can just say that you, you'd feel weird if the person you gave money to for their, their presidential campaign used them to pay legal funds or write a check to a pro, to a porn star. Like, right, yeah, you, sure. You can use that's, real-world that's, that's examples. Example. <laughs> okay. I was going to say something like, if my taxes, which I thought were going to pay for uh, things like emergency relief funds, instead were going to pay for a private research into this guy's crackpot theory about um, perpetual motion machines, then I would be probably a little bit unhappy about that. But we are geeks and we like research, so we think this is cool. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would voluntarily fund this stuff. You're right. But if I... As the tax-paying muggle, I'm like, you're wasting our money on that. We don't have gold paved roads. Go fuck yourself. Um, mm-hmm. All right, I can I can see that. I just I got the impression that like Raven was pissed about the kind of research that she was doing, not because she was spending taxpayer money, but because she was you know fucking around with things that man has no business touching. Um, well, and also generally, if someone is doing some some tax diversion, uh, it, that's not a uh, capital crime. Maybe it is in China, but in the U.S., we don't execute people for that sort of embezzlement. No, you're... And it's not even embezzlement, because it wasn't enriching her personally for that sort of, you know, chicanery. 
Yeah, I just put racketeering because I think that's like a catch-all term for basically any crime that I don't understand that they use in television. Uh, I think racketeering is specifically about uh, organized crime, like mob stuff. Ah, uh, uh, very well. But it's a fun word to say, isn't it? It is, yes. It also kind of sounds like a sport. It does, like mm. something you'd use a racket for. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, but so they they discuss their options and what's going to happen and they come down to dis- figuring not figuring assuming that uh what Amaril says from my understanding of narrative whatever choice is made will result in conflict almost certainly violent in nature i think it was raven Which, who said that actually uh, it was raven thank and you I, it was I, raven I, I did not tag the speaker i only bring that up because you know she's she hasn't spent years thinking about narrative the same way that amaryllis has and so oh, from yeah, her, yeah, yeah. her kind of like fresh perspective she's like Look, I'm not an expert on the ship, but it seems like it's always violent, right? So yeah, that that's why I pulled that out. No, thank you. I usually tag my uh, my notes with the speaker, but uh, I forgot to in this case. But it's yes, okay. So it was yeah, it was Raven, and th- that's like really a bummer because I would like to think in my life if I were to choose between things and I was trying to choose the non-violent option, like I could at least not be guaranteed beforehand that no matter what I chose, it was going to end up in some big set piece violent battle at the end because sometimes i don't want to get in fights i guess it's 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 a bummer that their only choice is who they're going to fight you know feels like a uh sort of video game on rails kind of thing well it is for them right for us we don't have yeah. our, our lives aren't dictated the same way you know we, we can yeah, it's- uh choose the nonviolent outcome and it can stay nonviolent because no one is you know uh contriving the universe such as to make us have to fight people I guess I'm saying I would start to lose some faith in my DM of being a good DM if every single thing I did, no matter what, always ended up with some kind of battle because it's an RPG. Like, I don't, I would like the role playing, if it's not a video game, if it's an actual tabletop game, one of the nice parts about that is that you can maybe not, uh, not have a battle if you find a way to avoid it. And it just sounds like they, they don't have that option and they've already resigned themselves to that. Although also, to be fair, June is seriously maxing out his character for battle. So maybe the DM is taking a hint based on what June is telegraphing that he wants to do through his stats and skill allocations. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's definitely possible. I I mean, he has completed some quests without violence, like the uh, library um, quest, right? Uh, you you re- remember there not being violence in that one? He completed a quest without without engaging in violence. Um, right after oh, that, okay. he got super violent. <laughs> but, All right, yeah. Like it, it's possible to to do quests without violence. Well, some of them anyway. Um, yeah. You know, a, a lot of the quests are go kill this person, but mm-hmm. um, the ones that aren't, you know, uh, seem like they might have some nonviolent solutions. But yeah, uh, you know. So you're right. In real life, that would suck. In a in a tabletop, you'd kind of wish like, aren't there diplomatic ways to solve problems? And there might be, you know. Mm. Um. But it does seem like at the end of the day, you know, yeah, we're training up a soldier here, right? So mm-hmm. we're a very capable warrior. Yeah. I always enjoyed like the more open-ended games that would let you have a diplomacy option and a stealth option for everything. And I really dislike the games that say they're like that. But then in the end, you still have to fight anyway. Fallout 4 had a, like, I think a famously boring ending. Um mm-hmm. Without spoiling anything, I can just tell you that any whichever of the four factions you decide to go with, every ending is essentially the exact same. Um, Lame. And it's go kill the other factions. There, there's okay. no option to say, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to do the violent thing if you want to finish the game. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, mm. it, that game had way more like rails on it than the previous fallout installations. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to go with voice protagonists and that really limits your options. That's true. Bad call on their part, I guess. Yeah, it was an experiment. I hope they don't do that with the next Elder Scrolls, but we'll see here in 10 more years when they eventually get around to finish or shipping that game. <laughs> Todd Howard yeah. won't rest until Skyrim is on every device on the planet. So once it's on every TI3 oh, calculator, then they'll release <laughs> Hammerfell. Awesome. I was about to ask about mobile phones, but no, yeah, the TI-80 is even better. Yeah, right. I got it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, in the diary, Amarilla says, do the objectively correct thing and worry about how you're going to live with it later, which is something that Grack quotes to her. And uh, I love that and I had to pull it out because fucking A, man. Uh, Amy's a rationalist. And th- that sounds exactly like something a rationalist would say. And I really like it. So it's getting a big thumbs up from me. It gets a it gets a regular size thumbs up from me. I mean, yes, that's she's a rationalist. That's a rationalist thing to say. But I sure hope being rationalist doesn't mean that you have to constantly throw your loved ones in front of trolleys, you know? Hmm. Like I, I do know there's, there's some way to maximize like your own life's satisfaction while doing a ton of good, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I am not an act utilitarian, so I am not personally concerned about that, but I kind of see how the, the, the phrase do the objectively correct thing and worry about how you're going to live with it leads to that type of, uh, type of thinking and that 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 might happen so okay point taken (laughs) but it's a hard problem i'm not i don't have a like a hard um i I don't have a very like solidly defined meta ethic but like you know the the objectively correct thing if there's a house fire and your your child is in there and so are your two neighbors kids the objectively correct thing is to pull out your two neighbors kids if you have to pick between your kid and their two children right but then you have to live with like having let your kid die because well, your kid's only one kid. Their kids are two kids, right? Yes. But there's something to be said about the, the spheres of, of responsibility that people have. Um, it's okay to tell people that they have more responsibility for certain things than others. And other people have to worry about their responsibility. Like for I, I the example I remember hearing is that the head of a department at a company is responsible for how their department performs. And while yes, you want the whole company in general to perform well, so you don't go around sabotaging other departments, you don't it's not your responsibility to make to sacrifice your own department uh and your people to to, you know, maybe help some other tar- department a little bit. And that is okay. And actually that is good because humans need these sorts of um, breakdowns of responsibility to function well uh, as a group. And that, that kind of thing applies to like family units as well, that parents have the primary responsibility for their own family first. And uh, if you, you know, you can save other people's uh, children, then you should obviously. But uh, if the, the choice is between giving up the responsibility for your family over theirs, then it's not necessarily right. Like if you're choosing your one kid over like 17 kids or something, maybe, but it's a harder call due to the fact that different, different wing, different um, weights of responsibility tip the scales a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting. Like my, my sister has two kids with a third on the way and she is saving for college for them, which I object to on principle, but, uh, like 
because of the college thing? Right. College is a complete scam and nobody should go. Um, You should go to a trade school and actually learn what matters to get your job done. But um, like, I don't know what that will amount to or how much you'll be able to save. But, you know, what's a college education cost these days or what will it cost in 20 years? Uh, Like probably $100,000 a kid. I guess maybe in state will be half that, but out of state, definitely, right? So, Isn't let, it? yeah, let's let's pretend that she could afford to give them all a full ride through school. So, what you know, what's what's the? I think the objectively correct thing is for her to take that three hundred thousand dollars and save a ton of lives overseas with it, rather than put her three kids through college, right? Um, mm, yeah, but now we're just sitting here trying to solve ethics and that's going to be a longer conversation so <laughs> uh, but we yeah. will solve ethics in the next episode then yeah we'll, we'll save it but but it is uh i i do like the the conviction and what i also the other funny thing about that was amy yeah, or emerilis asks where's that from and they're mm-hmm. like your diary and she's like oh yeah that sounds like something i would have said um mm-hmm. and that's how i feel once in a while, someone will be like, yeah, but you said this on the podcast. I'm like, that sounds like something I said, um, but yeah. I, I have no memory of it. <laughs> so, I get that a lot too. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess once there's like a record out there of stuff you say, then, you know, I'm not going to commit it to mem- my own memory, right? So um, Yeah. Well, also, one of the nice things about like knowing how you normally work is every now and then I'm like, what the fuck did I do with this thing or what happened with this item or, or idea or bill? And I'm like... If I was me, what would I have done? And then I'm like, I got a pretty good insight into me. This is probably what I would have done. And then I go and check. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's exactly what I did. Oh my god, that's awesome. Out. I once in a while, I can't remember when, like the last time might have been, but if I get the chance to, I'll always be like, oh, good job, past me, um, mm-hmm. like for having the foresight to keep my gloves in my car or something, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. But um, like, oh yeah, well done, previous Stephen. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, so Amaryllis, they ask her, all right, how much money are we talking? You know, because you're talking about how valuable it would be to stay here and do this. And she prattles on about trusts and businesses and yada, yada. And June's like, okay, but a number. And <laughs> she says, last time I checked, it was one and a half billion obols. And uh, apparently, and then Alexander Wales threw us a bone here because I could never remember how much obols related to real money. Like, mm-hmm. I know that they t- they did that conversation way back uh when i think talking about grack wanting uh, a bunch of you know half, thousand pounds of gold or something um mm-hmm. but uh what was i gonna say oh but i couldn't remember and so apparently it's roughly one to one one oval per one free you know unit of freedom money um which is to say <laughs> american u.s dollars so yes freedom currency i i i, I think I like that. Um, I like when authors do that. That basically one unit of whatever their currency is is roughly one dollar, because like just don't fuck around with your audience and make them have to do weird conversions or whatever just for the hell of it. Just make it one to one. It's simple. It's good enough. Yeah, and I I'm trying to think of any good times where I saw it not done that way. Like Wheel of Time, I think did a span instead of a foot. But I think there might have been like two spans to a foot or something. I can't remember what that came out to be. But like they still had miles. And so they would okay, say yeah. it's X miles away. I'm like, okay, well, I know how big a mile is. Um, yeah. Remember, you know, uh, Knuts, Sickles, and Galleons? Yes. And it's like, how much is a bar of chocolate? Like, I don't know, 
three six like that's the thing is i have no fucking clue right yeah because yeah. people are paying for things in one ounce gold coins so i have no idea what things cost <laughs> in the wizarding world <laughs> so i think it, I'm, I'm sure there are examples of it being done well but you're right uh when in general follow the kiss principle yeah keep the, it, i mean keep it simple stupid <laughs> Yes. The the reason sometimes people don't do that and intentionally obfuscate things is because like if you go back now and read uh things that were written like in the fifties and they're like, I am holding the world for ransom for one million dollars <laughs> <laughs> Which like in nineteen fifties money is a fuck ton of money. And it, not necessarily that is the you know classic Austin Powers example, but there's a lot of things like that where you're like, Oh wow, I guess this fifteen dollar car must have been a whole lot in the past. And, you know, people have become aware of that. And so lots of times, uh, if someone wants their work to not get too dated, they'll just say things like, you know, a year's salary or or something like that, or a day's wages uh, for, for prices, so that it'll remain relevant for people, as opposed to like saying $20 for something. Because if someone's reading that 50 years from now, who knows what $20 might be worth. Isn't that cool? Um, like mm-hmm. a fun technique. And they do, they do that all the time in TV and movies. Uh it like i remember this jumped out at me a lot in seinfeld i can't remember why but or, or basically everything you know for a long for basically everything i know there's exceptions but like they'd be like oh my god that's a lot of money and it's like yeah but or like maybe this will convince you and they show them a check but like we don't get to see the check right yeah and like that's, that's a trope to the point where everyone knows what i'm talking about but just show us the number and i it, yeah the reason they don't is because it's like well yeah it was you know ten thousand dollars and it's like what that's not enough to sell your soul for um mm-hmm. yeah in 1995 or 1985 it was whatever right so i don't know yeah i yep. mean for fuck's sake in 1985 that was like a third of a decent house I so know. in a in a not bad place to live so now that yeah. is like uh fucking half of a down payment on a house and that's if you're that's if you're doing you know 10 percent down mm-hmm. fucking a it's nuts Okay. Maybe. Yeah. No. no right. That's if you're doing five percent down. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just we'll have to live with that. Um, anyway, so Amaryllis is fucking loaded. That that's that's where I was going with that. Yeah, and they're talking about uh, well, they're talking about a whole bunch of things about their situation because that's basically what they're doing right now is figuring out what they're going to do. Uh, June does point out that the only leverage that Hyacinth has over Munun. I don't know how to pronounce the Frog Nation, is a well-placed cousin in the Draconic Confederacy. And Hyacinth only has leverage because she's alive, which is something we could very easily rectify. And I'm glad he pointed that out, because now, at last, we are thinking with portals. I mean, I I was, first of all, yes, I, I love the call out there, but the uh, I, I am kind of floored that they didn't float this idea two weeks ago. Uh it's it's such an obvious solution to their problems and she sucks like it it, this isn't like oh no the agony of do we you know soul rape that guy that actually i have no idea what happened to that guy um i believe they handed him over to iniquities and then it's not stated but i'm sure iniquities uh executed him yeah i think that that's what they were talking about doing last we talked about it and i think that's just we have can assume that's what happened but uh, you know, this isn't that sort of agony. Like, all right, this person's hellbent on destroying our lives. Our lives are actually very important. And she's, uh, you know, not above trying to get us killed. So, um, you know, it's, it's, let's solve this problem with violence. And mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I, I, how did this not 
I thought they had talked about it and dismissed this idea already, but apparently, you know, not. Raven think, just yeah. gives him a disapproving frown. And he's like, she <laughs> tried to have us killed. She'll to. try again and whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. I think for whatever reason, Amaryllis just didn't want to kill her and like wanted to finally put it, not for whatever reason. I think it's specifically because Amaryllis is worried this is going to keep coming back. The whole, I am a fugitive from uh, my nation and they're holding all my land and other things and people are going to keep coming after me she like wants to put this to rest at last and uh i, I think that's maybe why juniper got frowned at because that's not going to solve the the greater problem well raven frowned at him not amaryllis i think raven frowned because you know uther generally didn't do assassinations um yeah well it says he didn't engage in assassination as a matter of course but you're right i think amaryllis it's like yeah this is the obvious idea but killing hyacinth wouldn't solve her bigger problems of like i'd like my stuff and money so i can do the most good with it right mm-hmm. like killing her would get her off our back and that's it um and and to the point uh, of what you said about uh uther didn't do assassinations june's like he killed people in self-defense and raven's like usually he would wait for his enemies to attack first and like bitch she did attack first when she sicked the dragons on them that that is an attack yeah at this point june is perfectly justified in killing her uh, I, in a defensive uh, capacity i would argue you know, we we could quibble about like how confident she was that the dragons would try to kill them, or you know, if she was only one percent hoping that the dragons would kill them, that still counts as an attack, right? Like, mm. I think, uh, you know, she was menacing them, but I, I I totally agree. I'm just trying to think of like why Raven isn't on board with it. But I, you know, unless Uther really was running around being the saint who never, you know who once in a while would abuse a sentient piece of property um but otherwise was a saint like did he really not ever do a preemptive strike i mean that's what this is implying right like maybe the reason raven is upset with this idea is because that she has deeply internalized uther's values and his values were very much the paladin kind of thing of like well she has not lifted a sword and tried to strike me with it therefore she is still an innocent and i cannot attack her even though, in my opinion, fucking sticking dragons on me is is an attack. Uh, but uh, I guess not in Raven's opinion, so probably not in Uther's either then? I like th- This just seems to, to more and more say to me, like, Uther didn't quite realize what he was doing to, to the Entad, maybe? To, to um, Kamduna. Because he seems like, with everything else that happens, like a really good person. And just in this one case, he was like, yeah, well, this is an Entad. It's not a person. So... It doesn't matter. I can do whatever. And he was just wrong in that regard rather than evil necessarily. That's that's my read. I mean, Raven does say he would usually await for them to attack first. Uh, but it does say he didn't engage in assassination. Those are different. Um, oh, yeah. You know, but it, it does mean that he didn't like, OK, this guy looks like he's up, some, up to some stuff. Let's break into his house in the middle of the night and stab him. Um, mm. But it didn't necessarily mean we wait for them to fire the first shot. Because as a very stupid man once said, I'll wait until the point when the expected costs of maintaining diplomacy rise too high as compared to the expected benefits of moving first in conflict. Um, a very stupid man, you say. I will. I'll, I'll, <laughs> come, I'll hit that beat later. But okay. uh, it, it seems like uh, th- that seems like a perfectly sensible way to do it. Uh, in fact, that's that's real life, right? Like, I've never yeah. thrown a first punch. And I haven't I haven't thrown a, a self-defense punch since, like, school um so like it's pretty easy to go your whole life without engaging in violence but like 
if someone breaks into my house or something and is hell-bent on hurting me, not just taking my shit, like, I'm not going to wait yeah. for them to fire the first shot, right? Yeah. Um, yep. No, at some point, it's like, okay, yep, it's ready. I'm, I'm, I, we're past the point where, like, I want to, you know, usually I, you know, I wouldn't want to have to deal with talking to the cops and going to court and all this stuff, but now we've crossed that line, right? And mm-hmm. that line is before you shoot me or my, my loved ones. Um, yeah. So, definitely. uh, we don't have to read the whole thing about it, but I mentioned Onion Pendrag, a uh, grizzled yeah. war veteran. And so Basil isn't the stupidest name in the family. It's Onion. And uh, <laughs> apparently he's, you know, like I said, a decorated vet. And uh, mm-hmm. June says he is one of the people I was really curious to meet. My hope was that he had layers. Yes. <laughs> like ogres. Like ogres. Yes, that was a great joke and I appreciated it. Thank you for pointing it out. Yay. <laughs> Also, you you think onions a stupid name? I mean, kinda. I also don't like onions, but yeah. Well, I feel I, like I feel like potato is also a stupid name, and I don't mind potatoes. <laughs> See, I would agree that potato is a stupid name. I don't. Maybe I'm ruined by Steven Universe, which had a character named Onion. I I think onions. I mean, it's a very unique name. It's definitely something like like grabs your attention because onions, you know, taste shitty and make your eyes water, and just everyone knows onions kind of suck. So. Why would you name anyone Onion, right? But it it it's attention grabbing. It, it kind of it seems like one of those names that if you give to someone in a fictional work, you do it specifically so that people will know what the person's personality is like before they ever meet him. They're like, oh yeah, his name's Onion. I, I kind of can can figure out what he's like from that name. Uh, maybe. I mean, I I can't read anything into any of our other plant family members based on their name, but Onion is you know uh, also a food. Um, mm-hmm. Like Gwyneth Paltrow named her baby Apple, right? Yeah, uh, which is fine. It, uh, but I mean, doesn't that's kind of seems like a, a bit of a silly name? Um, eh, I wouldn't say so. I There's... I think it's you know, and I I not really a judgment on her or other people who name their kids after food, but like I just figure like we have nouns and then we have proper nouns. Like I'm not going to name my child laptop, you know? Like, <laughs> but why would why is that dumber than Apple? Because apples, I don't know, apples are nice, they're cute, they're pretty, um, it just, it doesn't seem that bad. It's not any worse than, like, Rose or, or something. You're right, Rose is, uh, is a name. I mean... Violet? Where, where, do, where do you come down on, like, however you pronounce the secure password that Elon Musk named his baby? <laughs> I think that they were trolling, uh, so I think that is sort of a dumb name, yes. I... I think the, my, my main metric for, for gauging names is like, would other kids tease that kid for having that name? Which isn't the best metric because it shouldn't have to be the metric. But mm-hmm. like, you know, kids suck and is that kid going to get bullied? And I don't know. Apple's probably doing fine because his mom or their mom. I have no idea. I think it's a she. That's definitely a girl's name. <laughs> if you say so. You're right. <laughs> Pear or banana. That's that's a boy's name. Um, exactly. Sure. Um, so anyway. I'm sure Apple's thriving because they're rich, but you know, you know what I mean? Uh, it like, ah, we're getting too far in the weeds, but I think we have to, cause we only have one <laughs> chapter left. So, um, well, I just, I, I like the fact that just the fact that his name is onion makes me think that he's going to be a, a character that shows up, uh, in, in some more, you know, a, a, a greater capacity. Also, you know, he gets this introduction as late sixties, old grizzled veteran turned commander. He's part of the, the cabal that's against them. But the fact that his name is onion really singles him out. In my opinion, I desperately hope that he shows up with like a facade of like one personality. And then when, 
someone else turns their back, <laughs> he changes personality, and he he just explicitly has layers like that. That would be great. I I think if we see him, that that's what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's no way that the DM didn't watch Shrek, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. The DM knows what he's about. Um, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like this. Um, Solace and Grack both nope out of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And Solace says, you know, you'll have to eventually make a decision on what to do. I've been present for these conversations before. It feels like we've hit the point that w- where we'll spin our wheels for, oh, another hour or two. So I'm going to go hang out with the Locust for a while. And Grack says, yeah, me too. Tell me what you decide. I trust you. I will not place a vote. And I like how, in my mind anyway, Solace managed to say all that without sounding sarcastic. And, uh, you know, she's not going to help Slytherin things. And Grack knows that's not his wheelhouse either. And Mm -hmm. I like that he explicitly is like, no, I know my strengths and I trust my team. You guys do what's best. I'll I'll do what you guys tell me, you know, vote on. Yeah, that was totally great for them. Yeah. Also, like, did you notice that once solace is the one leaving grack is like oh cool i'm going with her like they they really seem to be getting a lot closer it could be that if anyone else left he might have gone with too maybe he was just not you know he didn't want to be the first one to stand up and be like anyone else bored Um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true yeah but yeah it's also distinctly plausible he wanted to hang out with solace in particular i mean they they've been just really really getting close i'm i'm almost seeing like a wedding where one when they have like a real wedding and not a one person eats the other person kind of wedding thing going on. But he wouldn't want to live in the utopia solace designs for him. Ooh, yeah, maybe no wedding then. Mm, that's true. That's tough. Mm. You know, that's interesting though. Even people I know and love. I think the thing is, I don't know how I designed my own fucking utopia. I don't know if I'd be willing to put it in someone else's hands. Mm. You know, well, like here's where you're going to live for the rest of eternity. That That's a big responsibility. You know, yeah. Hey, do you want to try out this world I made for you? I trust a lot of people with that, right? Or at least several. Um, anyway, uh, June gives some golden general life advice um, that we should all follow all the time. I think you should get your hands on as much money as possible while giving the absolute minimum amount of responsibility in return. That's wonderful advice. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah <laughs> it, it, i kind of think it goes without saying it's almost like i think you should definitely keep breathing uh, as long as you can yeah, it's great because like she's emerald is trying to settle like oh man how do i handle this you know this this tough uh you know nice edge of slithering stuff and he's like you should try and make get a bunch of money while doing as little as possible and it's like <laughs> that's not a plan man <laughs> but i think he knows that and i think he knows how funny that that sentence was so uh anyway i like it i i read him as serious when when he said it it wasn't until you pointed it out how dumb that was and i was like oh yeah that's stupid that's <laughs> i mean it could be serious like he wasn't trying to get a laugh but like i don't think he thought he was giving an answer to the problem there right um maybe what he was saying is like look put this like on your consideration list right what you want out of this, well, maybe, as you said, was money. What you don't want is to give up a bunch of your time. So just keep your eye on that while we talk our way through this. Yeah, I think that's more what he was doing because, I mean, when you pull it out, it just does look stupid. <laughs> but I guess at the time they were talking about, like, how much responsibility versus how much money and those other things. Like, Amaryllis is considering, does she actually want to become a part-time princess again? Or part-time princess of, uh, of what is the name of this country again? Uh, Anglican. Anglican, thank you. That's right. Um, and June's just like gently reminding her here that we want money. We don't want responsibility. Right. In fact, he goes on to say, you know, bribe Rose Mallow, bribe Hyacinth, you know, get out with a nominal title of princess and, 
you know, do all the good you can with that, but you can do more good with the Tung who are incredibly loyal to you and who you've already implicitly promised to help. Um, yeah. And Raven just says, no, I think this is a sideshow. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, oh yeah, I think she's going to go with, um, what's her name? Rose, Rose Mallow's offer, which is surprising to me because I thought that she was going to tell Rose Mallow to get fucked. Um, but I guess if she has to pick, you know, which giant serpent's mouth to stand in, she at least knows Rose, she knows Rose Mallow better. So, um, yeah, Rose Mallow doesn't have active malice for her, whereas Hyacinth does seem to. Yeah. But Raven says, why accept that offer? And Amarillo says, because wiping my hands of Anglican is attractive because this is a quest that I don't want to do and whose outcome is entirely unpredictable given the dungeon master's machinations. Mm-hmm. And she knows the keyword quest. This isn't a capital Q quest, is it? I don't think they got a quest for resolve the Anglican business. I think you're right. I don't remember a quest at any rate, but like that could just be my memory being a shaky piece of shit. Uh, I mean, I don't remember it either. So it's no shakier than mine. Um, Okay, but I will. Uh, I'll double check. I'm not keeping track of these like I meant to from the beginning, but um, I will. Uh, anyway, just wanted to pull that out because the other option is that she's trying to trigger a quest, so at least they'll get some XP. Uh, oh, and maybe the quest description will have a clue or two about what they're supposed to do. So, oh, nice. That would have been some great. Maybe that is what she was thinking. Actually, trying to get a little narrative nudge here. Oh yeah, and she can't tell us that's what she was thinking. Because then it would never work, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this is from June's POV, so we don't know what she's thinking deep inside her head. Another reason that you really want that Amaryllis POV version of this book to exist. Hell yes. You know, if you ever get really bored, I, I feel like you would do a good job. Me? Yeah. Huh. Why not? I, I I don't know if I would trust myself enough to, to do that. I guess if it was fanfic, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fanfic. I mean, you know, unless Alexander is going to do it, then yeah, it's going to be your fanfic. And I feel like you'll do a good job because A, you're a writer, and B, you want it to exist. So, Hmm, I will have to contemplate this. Well. But uh, before I contemplate that, I am going to keep talking about this chapter because this is near the end. Um, Where, is this Emeril is talking? Yes, this is Emeril's talking. Uh, she does say that accepting Hyacinth's offer throws her off guard. And as long as there's a pretense of cooperation in place, she needs to hold off offensive action, even if she doesn't fully believe it, because the potential upside is so large. And it puts pressure on any counterparty, namely Rose Mallow, to help coerce her into offering me what I want. And I think it sounds like uh, they have a plan they're going with now. Yeah, I can dig it. Uh, I mean... I I like that they have a plan. I don't like this plan. Uh, no? How come? Because, I mean, so just this whole thing, this was great. Like, Amaryllis could slither circles around Lucius Malfoy. Uh, hmm. the, the the level of... Uh, God, wait. Was that the Princess Diaries with the guy with the cups of uh, poison? Uh, oh, no, you're thinking about uh, the Princess Bride. That's right. I knew I was wrong. But yeah, so I was thinking uh, the Iocane powder. And, you know, oh, but you think this and you think that I think this and I think that you think this. And um, so her (laughs) level of like getting everyone's plots against each other is just, you know, four levels up and it's awesome. But honestly, I don't know, like, I get that they'd have to start a war with a country or whatever, but they should just let June and Raven start punching people until their problems go away. Like, that's my plan. (laughs) That's that's a terrible plan. Well, 
their plan sucked in point of fact. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I will point out that even if my plan is terrible, their plan also didn't work. So, <laughs> Well, they haven't executed the plan yet. No, but it, you know, and I, I can't judge their plan just because it didn't work out. You know, it was still probably the smart plan. That said, it but doesn't how do you work know that out. it didn't? Well, how do you know that? Because June gets fucked. Well, I, we don't know that she doesn't still strike a deal with the Hyacinth while June is getting fucked, right? Uh, I, I feel like any deal they struck while you know, well, let's let's uh, let's get let's there. Keep going. Okay, and then then I look forward to ripping into about it. So, dumbest and tad. <laughs> They're uh, at Colwick Castle again, and they there's just this sense of awesomeness that the Uther Pendrag lived here. Um, yeah. Like the person of legends, like that, that, that air of mysticism is coming back with them again. And Raven mentions that like, Oh yeah, I was told I'd always have a room here. And like she had adventures here 500 fucking years ago. It's so cool. Um, yeah. I think you mentioned more than once in your notes that you were hoping that there'd be some kind of a secret note left for June something. Yeah. Some, some reference to, yeah. Like f- to the Kansas group or something. Right. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, one of the doors could be named like "Here's the Wing," and it's like the the name of their high school or something, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But it's something that like something that June could trigger. But at least yet, nothing like that has happened. So, yeah. Um, uh, Amaryllis, when they walk in, uh, talks to the the keeper of the place, and uh, he's kind of like worried because maybe she's a fugitive, and this isn't supposed to be a place for fugitives to take refuge and whatever. But Amaryllis says, "Surely you understand that the law is what we make of it." Which, I this made me like lose a loyalty point to Amaryllis, I guess, because she's talking like a goddamn noble again. That like the law is just it's how we nobles interpret it and what we want to enforce. Which I mean, she's not wrong, but I hate that. So you know, meh. I I feel yeah. I think that because I'm still thinking of Jack Reacher. Like, or actually, so the 2012 movie is called Jack Reacher. The TV series is called Reacher, um, and like he's working with the police to help solve this mystery. And he, he just keeps saying like, no, I'm going to kill everybody. And they're like, you can't just say that. And it's like, well, you know, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to lie. Like, so I feel like that's, she, she's also kind of just walking around with this colossal dick energy of, of Reacher. Right. Um, sure. and it's like, like, yeah, sure. If you squint one way, I'm a fugitive, but unless the cops show up, then like I'm just here. We're waiting for the dust to settle. Which you're right, actually. Your your read is much more like, uh, well, come on, I'm rich. This is kind of my castle, kind of. So fuck you. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's another way to read it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, she's right. She literally knows the situation and how it applies and how power works. I just I, she reminds me that the world sucks, and I I don't like being reminded of that quite so often. I guess in this particular way. This would not be a good defense for the random peasant in in uh, whatever city they're in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This would be like the peasant yelling, help, help, I'm being oppressed. It's like, <laughs> nobody cares. The dude with the armor and the sword it gets his way. Yeah, you see the power inherent in the system. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so she goes off to negotiate with Hyacinth. And while she's doing that, our crew of everybody except her and Grack are in this waiting room. And uh, Solus is uh, there as well. The quote is that Solus was with us too, but she had already withdrawn from the conversation, instead looking out the window with a blank expression on her face. 
And then later on, she also jumps into the conversation just like with a few offhand comments without ever looking away from the window. And these these two, this line in particular, and also her um, her reaction later, like it reminds me that we've seen very little of her since she was reborn. And so like I'm starting to get the feeling that that has affected her a lot more than she lets on. Unless like maybe like she and Grack had a big fight last night or something, and that could explain it. But like that wouldn't explain how she's been kind of absent for quite a few chapters. Like I said, almost since she's been reborn. Like maybe that fucked her up in some way. That's interesting. I uh I'm glad you called that out because it is it is becoming more and more apparent, especially her behavior in this, because like like you said, she's staring out the window. She's not you know, Zen sitting there knitting a scarf, right? Like that's the kind of stuff I could imagine Mm -hmm. her doing. And then when Prince, what's his name shows up and asks why she has horns and she's like sassy with him. That's the first time we see her be sassy. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking like, maybe she's kind of resigned. Like, you know, okay. It looks like this locust thing isn't going to work out. And I'm, you know, I'm bummed that I'm the last locust. And uh, so maybe that's it. I was thinking it might be that, but it, your idea that like maybe getting violently blown up and killed and uh, almost having the end of the loke of the druid magic line and the last locust die, you know, maybe that almost happening, you know, the idea that that might have had an effect on her, you know, who's to, you know, uh, that actually sounds yeah. crazy reasonable. Um, <laughs> so I think that you're right. It, you know, I also like the idea that maybe she and Grack are fighting because uh, she has been, you know, like sweet and you know what i was gonna say curmudgeonly but i meant to say canoodly with uh grack right um mm-hmm. so like that's not necessarily the behavior of a, of somebody who's like well i guess everything sucks forever right um yeah so yeah maybe maybe she's pissy today because she and grack had a fight hmm mm-hmm. well maybe we'll find out later yeah at the very least though i'm glad because it made it sound for a while like they were only gonna let grack go um and granted he's the only one in the room with amaryllis but I thought everyone else was going to wait at the hotel or some shit. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, at least they got to come along and be near, be close enough to get fucked. So, <laughs> yes, the whole group is here to get gangbanged. My, 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 my first thought when they were there, I was like, oh, good. They're here in case the shit goes bad. But no, they're here. And then shit goes bad. Yeah. Uh, they do discuss briefly, like, why the castle is so damn big. And it is revealed that a lot of the Pendrigs are on the dole. They went broke somehow or another, and it would be unseemly for them to be living in a gutter out there. <laughs> and also, the court uh, they considers in their best interest to keep voting members comfortable so they aren't as easily bribed. And to, you know, kind of keep everyone in the same social milieu so they uh, they have some unity, they aren't as divided. And June says, right, okay, it's universal basic income except not universal. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. And I thought that was a really surprisingly good way of putting all that. Like, oh yeah, it is, it is basically the basic income thing and the reasons <laughs> for having it. Yeah. It's, you know, nobility, basic income. Yeah. Yeah. Which that, I- that, <laughs> you're right though. It's nice to succinct way of summarizing it. Mm-hmm. So the, then the two cousins of Hyacinth show up and the the male version, uh, Yarrow, is like, hey, I'm just visiting. And Zinnia's like, Hyacinth sent us. And I was like, it's really refreshing that they just came, at least one of them just came out and said it right up front. Because it, it was going to be extremely awkward and stupid otherwise. And it was nice to have that just put out there. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, it's hard for me not to color everything that they've said and done since the second they shown up as like the plan all along, which it clearly was. 
Um, it clearly was, yeah. I didn't realize this when I was first reading it, but by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh, I guess that was part of a, a gambit to make them feel more at ease by just, you know, admitting it right up front. Right. Oh, look, you know, they're going to guess it was highest in the census anyway. Like, there's no denying it. So let's be straightforward about it. We'll earn some goodwill, enough goodwill to play a great game called Dumb as Dentad. Uh, mm-hmm. And honestly, it's hilarious. I thought I was having a great time until the second that he's like, well, let me, you know, I actually have a winning end tad here. I'm like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> but let's, let's, well, let's pull out some of the choice winners before we get there. Yes. Uh, the the first thing I liked is that one of the rules is that um, an entad created, a pal- if an entad is created around a pun, does that make it more or less dumb? And Palda says, definitely more dumb. <laughs> and I'm on her side there. Yarrow says, the more you scratch your head before getting it or groan when you do get it, the dumber. And I'm like, this must be mm-hmm. Inyasha's favorite chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least they acknowledge that it's very, very dumb. <laughs> Plot armor, uh, that was funny, right? That was really interesting. I didn't think it was funny at all, no. But uh, the fact that they explicitly call out an armor uh, that is plot armor like, why does Alexander Wales bring that up right here? Because, uh, first of all, we've been talking about it for the past two episodes and and people acting different ways because they know they have plot armor. And by people, I mean Amaryllis and June. Um, so, like, first of all, does he listen to the podcast and change the chapters after he hears them? Mm-hmm. Matter of paranoia. But more specifically, like, why, why does he bring up plot armor right here? That can't be a coincidence. Yeah, I liked it. Um, so they don't get it. Yaro's like, it's a pun? And he's like, yeah, you have the expression. And so it would be one thing if June just mentioned it as an inside joke to himself. But then Yaro says, maybe, meaning someone is protected because they're a character in a story and therefore nothing too bad can happen to them. Um, mm-hmm. And like, like that, that was Alexander actually... Alexander Wales is laying it out to the reader what it is just in case we weren't familiar with the concept. Oh, yeah, I, I suppose that's that's probably what it was. But for me, I figured since we're all reading, you know, this is quite possibly the second nerdiest thing I've ever read. So, like, I don't think many <laughs> people come to this story not knowing what plot armor is. But, um, like, yes, he, he's laying it out for them, too. But I I guess when June did it as, like, an, a joke for himself, I'm like, okay, that's funny mm-hmm. and that's great. But then when, you know, the obvious, you know, um, bad person who works for the the, the enemy explains you mean someone protected because they're a character in a story and nothing too bad can happen to them i was never more worried in the story so far that june was about to die yeah uh, because that that just seemed way too on the nose uh yep like describing plot armor to the one person in the world who knows that he's wearing it uh uh-huh. like i'm like oh shit they're gonna kill him right now and the gas knocks him out at the end but maybe it kills him uh, maybe mm-hmm. we're going to hell after this. Like, who knows? But uh, like the if, if if that's the case, then that plot armor like nod there was epic. Yeah, I think I, I also think that that was the reason why it was called out because they have had plot armor for a while now, and we've all picked up on it to some respect. And for him to bring it up right now and bring it into the conversation, it's it feels very much like. Uh, I don't know, like someone just nonchalantly asking, huh, it's a nice shop here. Pity if something were to happen to it, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, shit, this is about to get yanked away, which is why it's being brought up. So I thought that was a really cool move right there. Yeah, it's it's bad news. And I don't know if June's hackles went up or not, but he didn't describe that they did. So 
Um, yeah, well, he he didn't know, but yeah, that was that was excellent, and I'm glad it worked on you too. That you were instantly afraid. Well, see, the thing is, Amaryllis would have been immediately on guard, right? Because she hasn't yeah. not been thinking narratively this whole time. But June kind That's of true. Refuses and June was to, just like, ah, oh, it's a joke. Yeah, June refuses to to stare that you know weird part of his reality in the face, which I get because it would drive me insane too. But um, yeah, and he, he replies, mean, "You really killed a joke when you explain it." I. uh I think I joked that when we were uh, over at your place playing board games that the the best the best there are the sec- jokes that you have to explain are the second best kind of jokes. Um, and I don't know <laughs> what was I, had- I was supposed to ask. Why? What's the first kind of joke? Best no, kind of joke? I don't, I, I don't remember. No, okay. I, I don't actually know what the first kind of joke was. I remember that I said second, and I don't know why I said second rather than first. Um, See, it feels like it's a setup to ask someone what's the first um, best kind of joke, and then like having something you have to explain be as the punchline. Oh my god, that's perfect. Yeah, I it was really just like more of an off the cuff remark that uh, I now need to finish developing into something actually funny. But um, <laughs> anyway, you can be your your contribution to the comedy world. Yes, well, that and dead horse beating. <laughs> I think that was around before. I know, but it's, I, I mean, I think people talk about it like it's a bad thing, but I still think it, the, the, the deader the horse is, the funnier it is. Oh, it can be. Sometimes yeah. it really works. Yeah. There, there's like this, this awesome sweet spot right past when it stops being funny. And just a little mm-hmm. bit past that is like, it starts, mm-hmm. that's the funniest it can be. And then you have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I- <laughs> uh before we get to the the part where you get to uh be all induced into rage uh we have to give you one more cookie because they talk about like the way you are with things of it is how shitty would you feel if you've just gone into a forge frenzy for months and ruined your life and you wake up and this is the piece of shit that's in front of you (laughs) and and you know you get a cookie for that and also maybe uh alexander wheels is retroactively changing these chapters based on what we say ha ha except not really schlossing um, yes exactly i think i put it more or less exactly like that uh mm-hmm. i think because some, somebody mentioned there's some mention of magic socks and i'm just like so some people come out of this making a thousand teleportation pads they're going to be billionaires forever and they're going to change the the future of the world and you made a pair of socks that can never get wet like <laughs> you, you know it, great but not exactly the like life-changing um mm-hmm. i can only hope that the forge frenzy's like duration and therefore impact in your life is uh uh correlated with the awesomeness of the thing you made mm-hmm. you know like kunduna took i think years uh decades even possibly yeah it took a long i don't remember I, it was it was definitely at least years yeah it yeah. took it took at least years um so hopefully the person who banged out some magic socks did it like in an afternoon but um, yeah you know i don't know how magic they are maybe the person who's wearing them literally can't be killed so if that's the case mm. then great but there was just some offhand mention of magic socks that we didn't see what they did um yeah oh so another good example of one of the, the dumb things they pull out uh he says there is a wand which creates wands which creates wands which creates wands and so forth and june says oh that's good for firewood i guess and then his second thought, which was terrifying and awesome, which is what would happen if Bethel ate that. Hmm. And that's awesome. Um, you know, but for me, I'm just thinking like that's not useless. That, that's horrifying. Even without Be- June's awesomely scary thought, it sounds like you'd cover the world in gray goo or the stick equivalent to whatever that is. Sticks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is sticks. Yes. Just be lots of sticks. But I, 
But you'd have to, I don't know, you'd have to pick up each wand and make it to do its thing. So it would take a long time to cover the world with gray goo. And at some point, someone would probably shoot you. Right. Yeah. The fact that the world isn't covered in sticks means that this, this entad exists safely. Um, Yeah. But like if it, if it was. Unless there's a stick exclusion zone. Right. Uh, I was, I was thinking under like the idea that if this uh, wand could operate independently or could be made to operate ah, independently, okay. then you've got a world full of sticks. Yeah, then that's a problem. You know, it's funny is because air is flat and gigantic. It would just like start as a big pile that would get absurdly tall and just start falling, like cascading over. But because air is 80,000 miles across, I think you'd have months of just watching this hill <laughs> of sticks approach your, your continent. Oh, man. It'd be like watching the meteor come down. You're like, you you can't do anything about it. Maybe you could like set it on fire. Yeah. Dragons could do something, you know, star mages. There'd be some way to solve that problem. Yeah, that's true. This is not a world ending threat. Yeah, but it would be on earth. Maybe unless fire. Fire can solve a lot of problems. Um, It can. I pulled out like basically every last step in this. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have my notes in front of me, but I can kind of summarize where I was at if you want. But I don't want to do all the talking either. Um, I guess the... All right. So this is all fun and games. So he pulls out a pipe. Right. He says, oh, I see. I happen to be in possession of what I have officially deemed to be the dumbest entad in the world. And I was just like, oh, hell no. Like, June, don't don't walk into this. You got to be kidding me. And June says... right at the beginning. Immediately. And luckily, June says it too. Well, I mean, I... I think I read slow on purpose. I bet if you're were forced to pause and think as much as I was, then it it would jump out. But like it just for me, it changed the tone immediately. Um, mm. But June sees it too. He says no demonstrations, and uh, he the guy ignores him and he's like tobacco in the lighter. And June says, "I said no demonstrations," and mm. I'm like, "Dude, yeah, put your foot down. This shit's not happening." And the guy is like trying to wave it away. He's like, no, it's less funny if I have to explain it. You know, it's um, and June says, look, I don't want to be an asshole about it, but no demonstration of any entads, dumb or otherwise. I'm like, you're you're goddamn right, man. Uh, I'm going to find my actual notes here because they I think were funnier. Um, it's near the bottom here. Oh, perfect. That's right. So June says, uh, I don't want to be an asshole about it. Um, and the guy is like. Or what? You'll attack me and bring the armatures? Oh yeah, did we mention that uh, this castle has like terracotta warriors slash Iron Legion soldiers that Uther made? Uh, we did not mention that, but I would hope that the people reading along picked it up. Yeah, it, they, they've they got the Asimov rules of protecting just Pendrags. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I was thinking it would be pretty cool if they were also geared not to hurt his friends from Kansas, but I don't know how you could possibly key that into your magic wards or something. Um, mm-hmm. but like when the guy says, uh, when he keeps going and, uh, June says he repeats no demonstrations. I'm just like, oh yeah, cracks knuckles. Like Dune's going to have to, June's going to force him not to demonstrate. Um, <laughs> I even said, I'm glad they weren't dumb enough to walk into this trap. And then the guy says, or what? You'll attack me and bring the armatures down on yourself, causing a diplomatic incident and committing assault on top of the other desertion that you're already guilty of. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, or that. Test me. June, smash him to yeah. pieces. And uh, Then June, because he's awesome, he says, yes, I do all of that. 
Because now that you've been warned, if you try it, I'll know that you're doing it for purpose, not for fun. And yeah. he, uh, the guy says, hmm, and he looks down and then he just starts shoving tobacco like, into the pipe was, and ignoring him. That was a really good point from, from June because like now he, he's laying out very strongly why exactly he will attack him, even though, you know, it, it looks like it shouldn't be that big a deal, maybe from this guy's point of view. And it's, it's, it reminds me of the scene from, um, Methods of Rationality where, he's told like i i can't tell you what i did or something and harry's like look whatever you did i'm imagining something really bad right now and i assume you know i'm imagining something really bad and yet you think the actual thing is even worse than what i'm imagining which is why you won't tell me so it must be really fucking bad which is making me update my imagination even harder and uh it, it felt like that kind of thing like the more you push forward with this the more it's a red flag that this is actually a really big fucking deal and I should stop you. So that was, it was a really good way for June to vocalize that and really warn the dude off. It it was, but the thing is, and so I think I texted you on Saturday night and I was like, I can't remember exactly what I said first, but then I said, uh, what? Uh, I think I said, now I agree with Finn or I, I think I just said, Finn should have cut that dude's dick off. Um, yes and i was like i have got to hear what, how you got to finn should have cut someone's dick off from these chapters because june lays out the ultimatum here he says mm-hmm. yes i would do all of that because now you've been warned and i'll know that you're doing mm-hmm. it for a purpose not for fun and the guy is just keeps going and june doesn't know yeah. where to draw the line and i said yeah. i can hear fen in his head right now or i can hear fen in my head right now saying june cut his dick off um <laughs> Like, yes, he he has laid the he says, no, look, stop or I will stop you. And he doesn't. Uh, yeah. So he does. He stands up and draws his sword and he says, you know, go ahead. Um, but uh, like he doesn't do it. I was just thinking, like, go ahead, no. make my day, motherfucker. Um, mm-hmm. And he doesn't. Though. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, like I. I was in the same position as June. Like I would have really hesitated too, because I, I mean, this may just be because I'm a stupid, sappy, trusting motherfucker, but I would have been like, this is going to cause a huge diplomatic incident. I might have to fight my way out of this. This is probably not what Amaryllis wanted. She's in the other room negotiating right now. This is why we came all this way. I'm going to fuck everything up for her. And this may just be some idiot douchebag that's just like, well, you know what? I'm going to just do it anyway because it's it's funny. And also because what did he say? Uh, Then I would be setting the precedent that anyone can push me around just by threatening me, which is also a good point on his part, I guess. Although I don't consider it much that much of a precedent because obviously if someone threatens you with enough grievous harm you're gonna capitulate generally (laughs) if someone's holding a gun on you you give them your wallet right yeah i don't think i'm conceding anything by making that a standard principle of my conduct if you sufficiently threaten me i'll do what you want you know to a limit and if that if that want is not light a pipe in front of you you bet it won't take much um yeah so so i i don't know i i would have really hesitated to I would have too, but don't get me wrong. I, I'm me. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a meek, you know, muggle, but this is mm. June. He knows what's up and he knows that this guy's an agent of the enemy. Like, and the other thing is that, uh, he, he couldn't, um, uh, he ignored his thousand alternatives, right? 
I don't know what everything that's still in vibration magic can do, but if you can't break a pipe that someone's holding or stop them from lighting mm. it without hurting them, I don't know what I'm missing. Um, yeah. And I realized I didn't put my last quote here in the um, notes, so I'll just have to read it from my notes. Um, okay. June says, I didn't attack him. I couldn't break the peace, not over this. It would be assault by anyone's definition and it would fuck things up for Amaryllis if I was wrong. And I'm just like, June, no, cut his dick off. Um, <laughs> like, Awesome. He He's keeping the smoke away um, with uh, some version of magic, I forget which. But then the guy takes a big huff and blows it. And uh, wouldn't you know it, it's glowing gray and... Uh, Oh, no, wait. Um, but instead, a, oh, yeah, instead a wave of glowing gray magic and uh, boom, he's put to sleep instantly. Yeah. So, like, I I guess I get it. If he was wrong, even if he was right, um, it would have started an international incident. Like, this guy was trying to kill me. I don't know how you can demonstrate what an NTAD does. Um, and maybe this wasn't an NTAD that did anything, right? Like, maybe it just uh, always blew, sh- you know, smoke rings as ships like gandalf does in the fellowship um yeah like so okay well now juniper smith you've brought in, you've been brought before the court to explain why you cut this guy's head off um well i thought he was attacking me well with with what this pipe it makes ships out of smoke and it's like well i didn't know that i asked him not to do it you asked him not to do it and he and you cut his head off well yes it sounds dumb when he put it that way looks so like get you know, if he was arguing this in front of a an unfavorable judge, this would have gone poorly. But yeah, I, uh, you know, I get he didn't want to, you know, cause a fuss and possibly have to kill dozens of Iron Legion soldiers on his way out and ruin Emeralds' meeting and whatever. But yeah. like this, this was uh, he he hesitated too long, and I feel like he is going to be kicking himself. He's like, oh, I should have used still magic, uh, you know, to to stop him in his tracks. You know, I could have touched my foot to his and froze him or something, or I could have vibrated that pipe into a trillion pieces. Like, I really want to like put this to the the Discord uh, as a survey or something. Like, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, knowing that it knocks him out, he should have stopped him. But like, right up until that point, when when you still weren't sure what was happening, I'm wondering how many people you know are for the no wait and see, as opposed to how many people are for the cut his metaphorical dick off approach. At the very least, like I said, the the middle ground there is to stop him from doing it without hurting him or killing him. Um, yeah, and I, I got to think that again. I can't remember what still and magic, still magic and vibration magic can do, but they can't do what they once did because now June fell asleep. So yeah. even with that ring on, this thing knocked him out, and so his his still magic's going to reset to whatever you know mere great level it was, rather than god tier, and mm-hmm. uh, like. That's assuming this didn't just straight up kill him, which frankly, I, I feel like would be a uh, sufficient kick in the balls for this is what happens when you don't take action, June. Um, yeah. If I was DMing and I knew that like killing him would only like send his narrative to hell. But I don't if, if we go there, that'll be like, a huge pivot in the story. I just I, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. And it's almost like I can. I can almost see the DM like I see this in in a living room where a dude's sitting on a couch and the DM's opposite him in the chair and he's like, "Okay." He pulls out the pipe. And the guy's like, mm, "Okay, I'm not rolling for initiative yet." Okay, he pulls out tobacco and a lighter. Yep, I'm waiting. <laughs> he puts tobacco in the pipe. Mm, still going to wait. 
All right, he starts passing the lighter over the tobacco. It's slowly catching. He's puffing. It's a really big production. And the guy's like, yep, nope, st- still not still not rolling for initiative. And the demon's like, okay, fine, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you every fucking chance, motherfucker. And, like, again, the, the, the other options. And, you know, granted, I have the luxury of sitting and thinking about it for, what, two days and Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. But June can multi-thread. What he should have done was said, Raven, Solace, stop him. Like, if he couldn't think of a way to do it with his, you know, myriad magics, you can bet your ass Solace could turn that pipe into a, you know, puff of smoke, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or whatever other random shit she can do. Um, Raven could fucking, I don't know, who knows, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. She could shoot that annihilation ball at it and just just erase it from from space-time. And mm-hmm. stop the ball before it hits the guy in the face. Like I, they had options, and uh, yeah, you know, I think June probably was closest to this guy because he stood up and took his sword out. Solace is way over at the window. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't get knocked out. Um, you know, if if this just ends with June, maybe he, maybe this didn't like so. The ultimate punishment. This killed him and everyone else in the room. That's why it's the dumbest dentad. It's a suicide dentad, <laughs> and uh, wow. it it killed the two um, the two Pendrags and Solace and Raven and June. But June's the only one who gets to go to uh, go to hell and still be safe. You know, still have a story. That's the worst way this mm. can go. The other way it can go is that Raven and Solace saw this happening a mile away, and they did some magic to not breathe in the smoke. And the only fallout is that June loses his ultimate still magic. And that that sounds like they're both equally likely outcomes. It's interesting. If uh, if the only fallout is him losing his ultimate still magic, then it kind of makes me wonder if the DM like made him not act. Because he was like, look, I'm sick of you not having... Uh, or I'm sick of you having this power you didn't earn, right? And I can't, I, I can't just, I, I can't, I can't outlaw or I can't exclude it. Like I did skin magic. Cause that'd be just too much chopping at the world. Um, but I think I, that is a, a, a little bit too far of a DM overreach. If he were to like literally make June, like it seems a lot of what the DM likes seeing is putting June in combat situations and seeing how they resolve. And if he's just like, well, I'm taking this away from you now, and he puts him in this situation and doesn't let June make a choice, it feels like that's not a DM-y thing for him to do. It's, it's going too far, if you understand what I'm saying. I do. And I, I'm torn because this is the same guy who, you know, got rid of skin magic because June took it too far, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, that is more theatrical and fun than just, like, making june stupid for a second or making him hesitate for an instant too long right yeah yeah um so yeah i'm not sure uh you know we'll see what happens maybe june will like look back and be like i was not acting like myself why didn't i do anything Uh, was that the dm fucking with me i don't know you're right if the dm is is like yeah you're right that is a different kind of like fucking with the game than just taking away someone's you know taking away an entire class of magic right Mm-hmm. If, the, if the like you said in this in the scenario with the dm you know they're playing and the dm says uh you know the enemy draws out his magic entad and you stand there indecisively and you blow smoke in your face and you pass out like that's that's not fun if i was the player i'd say fuck you right yeah, yeah. like i wouldn't just stand there um so yeah that that's that would be fair either um i don't know i 
yeah, like, I, I suspect the discord will be on my side, but I think it's just because I feel like I, I, I so strongly feel like I'm right that he should have acted first, <laughs> not necessarily acted with lethality, right? Um, mm-hmm. That said, I don't know if the terracotta warriors would attack him or not. Like I said, I don't know how Uther could make the um, the Entads keyed to people who live on Earth, but mm-hmm. like, what if June just yelled like Arthur Isaac Bloom, I Juniper Smith invoke thee, right? Like, stop this guy. This is this is Arthur's fortress, right? If um, I was if I was li- if I was Arthur, I lived there for forty years. I would totally put shit like that in there. I I guess it just. If that were to happen, it would feel like a really cheesy Deus Ex Machina to me to just randomly have the yell those words and suddenly everyone's on your side kind of thing. Well, he's not randomly. He's it's it'd be a shot in the dark, right? Um, it's such a shot in the dark that if it were to work, I'd be like, this is total bullshit. This would not completely unrealistic, and my immersion is ruined. I don't know. It's the kind of thing I could imagine June imagining Arthur might try. So like. To that extent, it wouldn't break my immersion. But maybe I truly wanted to see something. I wanted to see something where Arthur set something up in this castle, his stronghold for June and or anyone else from Kansas. But yeah. I can see, you know, it it would be like if June just knew the the way to turn the, the Iron Legion to his side rather than the way that they're already programmed. I can see how that'd be kind of lame. Um, I had one last thought on that with, uh, shoot, was it Arthur? Mm. oh yeah that my my uh my always back pocket idea the other thing he could have done to non-violently end the situation would ask him if he knows about the cannibal right <laughs> i i guess so how would that non-violently end the situation because june could say i know about the cannibal too and if you don't stop i'm happy to say his name i think like, that's just escalating straight to the nukes for no good reason it's it's big stick diplomacy. Like it's it's like, look, man, whatever that fucking stick does, you think that you can stop Shia LaBeouf with it? I th- this this feels to me like carrying around a nuclear warhead and someone mugs you and you're like, oh, you you want my wallet? Try, come and try to take it because if you get close to me, I'll set off my nuke. Like it it it's such an overreaction that i don't think the mugger would even take you seriously you're you're not gonna set off a nuke to save your wallet that's ridiculous if i was the guy who more or less single-handedly killed momrath i might you know uh i mean part of the problem with a nuke and possibly shia labeouf if it's it's kind of indiscriminate it kills a lot of other people in the area too that's true yeah i mean again that's why it's my that's 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 why it's passed my like try to get arthur to save him you know um, on the list of options, but I'm just saying he he could have he could have at least threatened it, and it's like oh yeah man I'm fucking crazy like you want to see how crazy I am <laughs> and you know he's not being mugged like he doesn't know what's going to happen to him you know if 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 all uh, Yara was saying was like and give me your wallet or I'll use this pipe I'd be like okay my wallet is not worth an international incident right yeah yeah but. You know, my whatever it is, like the unknown thing that you're going to do to me, fuck you. Yeah, it totally is. Mm-hmm. We'll tell I mean, people that you said I would have just attacked him. <laughs> I would have just attacked him with a sword before I threatened cannibalism. Yeah, that's true. I think I'm just desperate for someone to do that at some point. <laughs> but that, that would have been immensely stupid to like, because this is not the time, right? The time to do right. that is like when you're like, I don't know, you're tied up and you can't do anything else. At this point, he still has all his magic and stuff. 
you know, and his sword's out. He could have cut his, he could have cut the pipe in half. Like he's a good yep. swordsman, isn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah. He should have been able to just knock it out of his hand. And I mean, I guess they're both mages of some kind, but at the very least could have tried to knock it out of his hand. Right. I mean, he could burn bones for speed. He's got unicorn mm-hmm. bones. I think like, I mean, if someone, I know that unicorn bones are limited resource, but someone's whipping an unknown entad out. You're like, I can't, uh, I don't, I don't want to escalate to violence if I don't have to. Like, I wish I could try this three times. That's when you whip out the bone, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But again, it's super easy to play Jeopardy when you're at home in your armchair and not standing there trying to enter, you know, the second that you have. So, um, yeah. Oh, but that's, that's why I pulled that. I put that quote out at the end of the notes here. I'll wait until the... Uh, I'll wait until the point when the expected costs of maintaining diplomacy rise too high as compared to the expected benefits of moving first in conflict. And then the attribution, a guy who didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I guess I'll have to grant that. But he only didn't, you know, the the instant that he didn't do that was the instant that he lost, right? If it was poison that made them start coughing, you bet he would have cut that dude's dick off. Right. But he, it didn't even like, what was it? Was it the instant? Yeah, putting him into sleep almost instantly. Like, there just wasn't time, right? Yeah. So, I get it. Mm. But I, uh, I'm i eager to see how hard he gets kicked in the balls over this. And Well, yes, we can see how hard he gets kicked in the balls when we read the next three chapters. And I went with three chapters this time because, like, a lot happens in them. I'm not sure if it'll spark as much discussion despite how much happens if it doesn't then i guess we'll just have a slightly shorter episode which is fine yeah. so three chapters for next week works for me go ahead i was okay. gonna say you, you 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 defend yourself i think because you're anticipating that people always want more chapters and i know i know guys but you know Inyash is driving i'll trust him to follow the speed limit that he feels this is the safest so all right what are our chapters here okay so they are 181 to sleep perchance to dream 182 painless and 183 transgressions. Hmm. I mean, the to sleep thing is going to be, you know, he's asleep for the first time in however long it's been uh, and other stuff. Painless would be a really funny chapter title if that's him waking up in hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that would be I will- like such a story pivot, right? But why not? I will point out that to sleep for chance to dream is a quote from Shakespeare where he's literally talking about suicide. Oh, okay well shoot um if well that's uh that's not like spoiler or anything because that's meta knowledge that's contextual knowledge of society that i should have had but because i was tainted against enjoying the classics by being forced to read garbage like you know the old man in the sea i never enjoyed shakespeare so um but shakespeare is not enjoyable i mean it's written in a different language for starters which makes it fucking hard as shit to understand but uh it's if it was if they gave you translated copies maybe it would be a lot better you know i know those exist i know that people have made you know movies um and uh whatever plays in some understandable version of it that i'm told mm-hmm. are enjoyable um but i just i don't know I have a hard time picking things out of stories. I think if it's like, no, we're all talking about metaphors the whole time, then I just, I completely miss it. Or I just think it's way too heavy on the nose. Um, but okay. All right. Well, oh shit. Well, if to sleep to perchance to, perchance to dream is, you know, uh, considering, and I'm not sure of the context in Shakespeare, what was going on, but if that's suicidal contemplation for 
possibly to escape whatever happened to him. Painless might be him going through with it, which is horrifying. Hope is not that. I'd rather him wake up in hell than him successfully kill himself. Unless that's the plan. Mm. Mm. Which, thanks to that's good shit if that's the plan. We need to hang up so I can start reading. So, <laughs> Okay. I, I know, well, in that case. Yeah, I know we got, we got it's the last bit of housekeeping, so... <laughs> Yes. Uh, as always, you can support us on our Patreon in the show notes. You can support Alexander Wales on his Patreon in the show notes. Don't forget to buy his book. Um, that's that's all we got. Let's yeah. go read. Alexander, thanks for writing this awesome story and uh, making this awesome game that keeps us on the edge of our seats. I am looking forward to being back here next week. Thanks, man. Goodbye, everybody. Wait, wait. Quick update. After reading the next three chapters, Stephen agreed we are adding a fourth chapter. There will be four chapters in next week's reading. The last chapter is 184, The Further Adventures of Valencia the Red.